Hello. Hello. You put me in a bad mood already. I did not mean to. I was just trying to do numbers and I've, I messed it up. Sorry. You're almost 40 and you can't tell the time. No, not digitally. How? How can you oh, tell between I... 3 and 33? Do you know what I'm just thinking about? The fact that how the, we're learning through our media education that how the first minute of a broadcast is the most important. That's how you can lose listeners. And it was always a disaster, usually because of you. Yeah, but our first minute is usually Bryson, so have we lost him? Well, but the point is we upload this after and people just listen to this and be like, this is shit, and turn it off. Big news is coming, listeners. Big news is coming. Well, another episode of Mouse of the Clyde, Sunday brunch, here we are. Eventually, now that William was able to figure out the time. I did. Um, as usual, got a whole bunch of papers to go through, a whole bunch of news. I think what I'm going to do today is let William Brown take the lead on this and just let you go ahead and tell us some news. What do you think? Oh, I can do that. I can start off if you to... want by doing my, my Sunday hot and not list, and then we can move on and let you tell everybody the news, and I'll sit here and relax and contribute, eh? Is this just because of one minute of like messing a time up and now you're going to... Right, so this week, this week, what is hot is mirror blackouts. Dior's Maria Grazia Chiuri apparently has no mirrors in her own house, big mood. And what it is is she's dressed entirely head to toe in black, like black makeup, black dress, black nails, black jewellery and everything. So um, apparently not looking in a mirror, just putting stuff on and being comfortable is hot. Like, I mean... That's always been my philosophy anyway. Pineapple upside down cakes. Nigella Lawson has said that they're back in. We're going back to the 70s and we're having that. I, I don't know about that. Um, Alfresco art tours, outdoor installations for COVID safe culture, such as Gucci's Art Dome in Palm Springs, sponsored by North Face by the look of it, and beauty interiors. So what they're saying is if you've got like perfume bottles or expensive makeup or whatever, and it's like finished or empty or whatever, Keep the bottles, display them out on your wee vanity and make it look nice and sort of show off your wealth, I guess. <clears throat> and things that are not hot is uh, picnic hampers. Why bother now that restaurants are doing park drops, deliveries direct to your bench? Dreamy, quite frankly, they're saying. So how like, you can get like sushi or whatever delivered to you if you're in a park. But this is like people that are in London and stuff like that. Like, we're not going to deliver to us like, sitting in the Esplanade and stuff. That's not happening. But I like the gingham. Like the I gingham? Like to, the old, yeah, the gingham in the old-fashioned picnic basket. I've always been a fan of the gingham. I don't know how I feel like... I, would, I think I would rather just make my own picnic. I don't want like, a restaurant mm. to make it up for me. Like, I know it would probably look fancier and stuff, but if you date yourself, you can make stuff that you like and bring all your wee favourite bits. Like, you can never get that really at a restaurant. Yeah, we've, you've been the master of the picnic over the years. Like, you yeah. would, Because of the idea of, like, say, if you went and got got sushi, you wouldn't be able to like get something else from some like you can tailor it to me and Bryson fairly well and yourself. Yeah. And it's hard like being veggie and stuff like that because especially mm. living in Emberclay there's just really not much options. Like you can get chips and even then they probably wouldn't deliver it to the battery park for you. You'd probably need to go get it and bring it there. So you'd better to make your yeah. picnic. Um <clears throat> another thing that's not hot anymore is Gen Z pasta. Like, remember how all the people on TikTok were making like the you probably don't know actually they're putting like a tray in the oven full of like cherry tomatoes on the vine and a block of feta cheese and you'd bake that and then take it out and put pasta in it and mix it all up and it was like a sort of easy lazy sauce and apparently now Hayley Bieber has been making mac and cheese in her bathroom 
Um, apparently that's not hot anymore. You've not to make these homemade pastas. I don't know what you've to do, but they said not that. Right. How do you make pa- cheesy pasta in a in a bathroom? I've no idea. <clears throat> you need to ask Kelly Bieber. I'll look that up later. That's just weird. Another thing that's not hot is Zoom book clubs. Um, book club apps. Reese Witherspoon has launched one. Um, they're apparently not into that. And I think that I'm actually interested in, but they're saying it's not hot anywhere, which shows how cool I am. Um, audio brochures. IKEA is doing a three-hour, 41-minute auditory experience of its catalogue. I would be quite interested in so, that. How are they going to talk for three hours, 40 minutes about stuff in IKEA? Like, I would download that. That would put me... Could you imagine it? Like, Billy Bookcase, six foot by two foot. I would download that. Like, I would put you to sleep 100%. Um, Something we're talking about as well is um, it's called VaxFit. And what people are doing is, like, putting real real serious choice and thought into the outfit they're going to wear getting their vaccine so they can take a picture and, like, hashtag it and, like, put it online and whatever. Um, Saying... Um, like things all the celebrities of war when they like go see and stuff. This girl was apparently got a bought herself a, a Vera Wang wedding dress and um dyed it in a sort of like cotton candy pink, and she's <laughs> going to wear that a big wedding dress ball gown thing to get her back. I can't remember what I wore. I had my denim jacket on definitely, but I think I just had like a pair of like, joggies on and like my cons. It's just what I usually wear. I was just dressed like a trig, like normal. You just went and came back in fifteen minutes. All right, it was just quick. I like. I think when I went to mine, I don't think I could have took a photo anyway because I was in the town centre, like the town hall thing, and there was hundreds of tables about. There was like people getting their vaccine. Like as a sort of medical setting to me, it'd be the same as like going to get a medical procedure and being like, "Oh, can I just like go on Insta Live or take my gallbladder out?" It's like, no, of course not. Do you think just the way the world is now, like, see if they set up a wee photography bit that had vaccine received in the NHS logo? I people would for sure been yeah. Look, because that's like big clout. Like you'd be like, oh, I've got it and I've got that photo. People would be more interested in getting that photo and being cool on Instagram than they would be getting the getting the jag. There's a thing in this as well talking about um, the Cruella Deville like sort of haircuts. So doing like half black, half blonde hair dye. Because um, mm. I think it's like May twenty eighth. I think it is that there's a live action Cruella movie coming out, so people are like thinking about that and like how Miss- Michelle Visage has like done like the sort of like grey stripe at the front of her hair, like during lockdown she's not dyed her hair. And, but I quite like that like sort of black and grey sort of thing. And I kind of like like well, I've always had like sort of grey roots and stuff like that. But now I'm getting to the point where I'm like I actually don't mind about that because I want to dye my hair like blue or something at the bottom. So I was like I might just not dye the greys at the top, but I have a sort of like weird blues coming through at the top bit. With the black and then blue at the bottom. It's not like my whole is grey, it's just like the tap is like wee odd strands grey. I might just leave it. See if, look, you did what I did and shaved your head and just let yeah. it grow in naturally. How much, what would your hair grow in like? Would it be salt and peppery or would it be? I think I would look like Grace Coddington. I think I, I would look sort of like, like gingery grey. I forgot that you're actually a natural ginger. Yeah. Well, not ginger, but look. red. Yeah, you've got a nice burtumber sort of... Burtumber? Burnt umber, like a, a nice coppery to your hair when it comes in. Um, In the Sunday magazine today, we'll get in a wee bit, but there's a whole bunch of features. So one of them's on Princess Diana, in which she used to do over the Easter holidays with William and Harry. And that one is an interview with Kate Winslet talking about how people in the film industry 
that are LGBTQ are hiding their sexual identities because they think they'll be typecasted. And another one is a sort of feature of Hunter Biden, the president's son, talking about his like password addictions and all that sort of stuff. And it's kind of interesting because he was talking about being, where was it? He was in Nashville. I was in Nashville and he was talking about trying to get some crack and the stuff that he had to do to get it and stuff. And I just thought maybe some of our listeners would be able to relate to the story that he said. Um, he says like, so what he does is he goes to um the sketchiest part of town, um drives into where it's looking sort of shitty. He'd walk up to somebody uh, and say to him, "Do you know where I can buy some hard?" And the, the person would get in his car and take him to whatever whatever the place is. He'd give the person a hundred bucks and say, "Go in and buy some crack for him, like for Hunter Biden. Go in and buy him a hundred dollars worth of crack." And if he comes back with the crack, he'd give him another hundred dollars to buy some for himself. And they'd sit, he'd sit and wait in his car while the person goes in. He said seven times out of ten, the person didn't come back. You just get burnt and feel stupid. Sometimes the process can take 30 minutes. Sometimes it can take 10 hours. Um, and he was just talking about how like, he was buying crack in Nashville and how to go about that and stuff like that. But and how t- sometimes it'd come back and it wouldn't even be crack at all. It'd be like bacon soda or something like that. Just like, like condom. But that's like a kind of silly way to go about it. Like give somebody 100 bucks and like say, right, okay, go in and get me the crack and then come back. I'll give you another $100. Like maybe more of an incentive than that. Because of course I'm just gonna be like, what's the point? I'm just running about after you. Like I'll just ask hundred bucks and buy my own. See you later. Yeah, I don't know who you are. Look, is he already known as Hunter Biden by that time? You know what I mean? Like, would well, not really. Oh, like, it's... probably just like to. I mean, he's probably taking advantage of people who, like, you know, are living on the streets and stuff like that. So it's most likely people yeah. wouldn't know or care who he was. And if they're like, you know, addicts themselves, they're probably not going to care regardless. They're just in their own you stuff. Just... If someone gives you a hundred bucks and tells you to come back out and you're out to see drug dealer, like just going to go to the drug dealer yourself and yeah. come out another door. It's a bit stupid. Um, yeah. Have you got anything to ask you to talk about today before we go into our newspapers? Oh, because it is spring, and I know you like this person also, with spring cleaning, and I've got different tips by Aggie, how to clean windows, ovens, pillows, duvets, and behind the fridge, and shower things. Like If you want to know any of them, just... No. You know, listeners want to know about cleaning. Because I always found that like the one that I I'm interested in is like what the, she tells you to do is like see the shower head to screw it off and put vinegar over it and so the hot water hitting the I, vinegar will clean out all the I know that one, yeah. And then she tells you to use newspaper and I always I, I found that interesting also to do windows. So, I always like using newspaper for the windows then. Yeah. It, I just like Aggie, as you know, and do you prefer Aggie just... to Kim? Oh, I don't know. Both of them are, are... I think you need both of them. I think it's like salt and vinegar when it comes to Kim and Aggie. Oh, by the way, everybody listening, happy Easter. Did you get any nice treats today? If you have, send us a wee message in. Let us know what you got or what you're up to today. We've actually had a nice lazy Easter. We had, like, we made some rolls this morning. So we're doing more paper and stuff and we've got comfy jammies on. It's been a good day, innit? Yeah. No eggs, no wings, no Jesus. I got a chocolate headwig. Oh, you did? You came with a chocolate letter too? Yeah. You need your letter with L. You can't just run out with any letter. Yeah, that's true. Does that mean, like, over the next couple of days, me and you're going to walk down Tesco and buy, like, the extravagant, either really expensive See, that's, eggs like, that's not... what I wanted to talk about that I don't understand. If you go to Tesco today, you probably wouldn't be able to get an egg for loving your money. And if you did get one, it'd be absolute dog shit ones. But you can guarantee when you go to like Tesco and Aldi over the next like couple of days, next week. Can you stop doing that? I'm oh, sorry. 
if you go to Tesco or whatever next week, there'll be like eggs unreduced. So why is that? They might have them in the back, or well, why not put them out today when people need them? And they can make full money off them. I don't know. It'll be either the vegan ones or the really, really expensive ones that no one wants. Still, the fifteen pound like black magic ones and stuff like that. Why are you always doing stuff to annoy me on the podcast? Why are you always like, like tinkling wee papers and, and doing things to agitate me? It's like you do it on purpose because you want me to get annoyed. That is not true because I forget my head is I the think microphone. It is, true. it is not. I don't go out my way to annoy you. It just seems to I, I rub you up the wrong way sometimes. You've got a mute button. You can put yourself on mute if you're going to be annoying. I, I, I will do that from now on and remember to turn it back on when I need to talk. Why don't you go dive in and use your head microphone and tell people some news? As usual, Williams get the red top trash paper, so we're diving into the trash first. See, there were one thing that I found actually interesting right away, and I found it kind of sad, but the Proclaimers now are all on the Alba party. Alaba. Alba. Alaba. 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 Alaba, like Alaba, yeah, Alaba, yeah. So they've moved away from the SNP. The twins done in a video last night and says that they're behind. They're behind Alex Hammond, and they believe that he's the man for the job, and he's given him all the rights to all the the Proclaimer songs to play in any of his videos that he wants. And they're going to be writing them a new new versions of "I'm going to be in Letter to America." For the elections, which uh, I well, what? No, continue. Because I found this when I think SNP, I always thought of the Proclaimers. That was like they were always at any SNP thing they had. They brought out Charlie and his brother, but mm-hmm. I I just think it's weird that they've moved over now. Like it, it makes it real. Like they are another party. Validates like it. it. It does validate. So for you, the validation is that the proclaimers are on board. I still think they're a bit sleazy and Alex Salmon, but now they have the proclaimers. Like the procla- when you think of like any video that had the SMP, you usually heard the proclaimers. I eh? can I just my opinion on this. Mm. One of the proclaimers is married to Jim Seller's daughter. So, I mean, it could be that it's in relation to that. Like, I'd, I'm not saying it is, but it could be. Who's Jim Sellers? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm lost there, are you? He, he was like a, a Labour MP back in the 70s and stuff like that. He was, he was sort of, again, sort of for like, Scottish Home Rule and stuff like that. And um, he was um, he's married to Margot MacDonald. She was SNP, but she's dead now. I but um, I think one of them is married to one of well, his daughter's married to one of the proclaimers. I think. All right, I didn't know that. Because Jim Sellers, uh, he's back in the Alba party and stuff like that. I'm just, I was trying to quote her. This is a very welcome development as it gives independence voters a party that is not the SNP, which many, including me, with justification, believe is tainted with political corruption and which is grossly incompetent in a whole range of its activities, from building ferries to building hospitals and boasting about being the Saudi Arabia of wind without creating jobs. Um, so I, his daughter is married to one of the proclaimers, 
and they have no commitment to support that party. So maybe it's a, a family decision. It sounds like it. It's like it's full of a corruption. You're like, didn't he do that while talking to Alex Salmond? Alex Salmond seems to have like blew up and ran away. In my opinion, anyway, what do you think? Sorry, I'm just I'm responding to one of your listeners on Twitter. Continue not to explain this to you, Alright, we just mentioned that Labour leader oh, Anna Sawa was campaigning over the weekend in Rutherglen and Willie, Jem- Willie Rennie dropped into the SSPCA National Wilder in Alawa. That's where this is where all the parties are now doing their to try to get the votes and Douglas Ross hit the streets of Elegant over the over yesterday. So this is I'm just have to reply to that person. I'd put on Twitter today on my main one on Mouse Clyde, put on Twitter that we had a show today. Um, and somebody, one of your listeners, said, oh, sorry, I thought I, I thought I'd just follow you on here because I'm banned from stereo at the minute. <laughs> I, was like, I, just, I love how so many of our listeners, for one reason or another, are banned from stereo. I wonder, that's, that's odd. It's not one of our... It's not uh, one of our two favourite band people, is it? Somebody called Big T. Or... Big T. He's from Scotland, but I can't place who it is, so I can't mind. So if you listen to this, Big T, I'm sorry, I can't mind what your stereo name would be. Um, but you should be banned from just now anyway. The only one I think of is the one that gets banned because of oh, Freddie and him fight. My K man. T might not have a T. Alright. So and Nicholas Sturgeon was at a was at an Easter egg hunt yesterday at Ruckle Park in Glasgow. So it just seems like so they're out doing their things but they have to keep social distancing and stuff at the same time. Uh, they still have to campaign and like, do their hustings and all that, but <clears throat> did you see that, by the way, the other day, there was like some sort of event, like, it was like a women leaders only event, hustings thing, um, and it was like a, a Zoom screenshot of all these different women, um, and there was no Lib Dem representative, so Willie Rennie's just sitting there with them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, and dear, no, dear. Are there no women in the Lib Dem at all? I, I guess none they wanted to put forward. Yeah. I guess who was the one that was running for Prime Minister that you they didn't even like get in our own our own town? I forget her name now. Joe oh, Swinson. I, I Joe Swinson, oh. I You would think she that she would run, Yeah. You would think that she would run up here now that she's not allowed in Parliament. See if I can just piggyback on your Alaba talking about there. There's a whole bunch of stuff on this today in the Herald, um, because like there's a couple of things about it. One of them is a fraud investigation and a, a candidate for the party, and also the Alex Salmon quote, which we've already seen by now. Um, they're saying about how the like, for your your regional vote, if you vote for the SNP, that is an ultimate wasted vote. He said, um. And obviously, he says, um, that is my estimation, ridiculous posturing for any independent supporter caused by the realisation that SNP votes on the regional list are the ultimate wasted votes. Um, and they've said that 4,000 members have signed up to the party in the week it launched, including two sitting MPs. Um, the first opinion poll had, since the party launched put it on a 3% of the regional vote. So he's trying to just piggyback on that because I think he knows that most people, like, both people that we consider it maybe, um, would always put SNP for one. And maybe he would yeah. get the two. So I think he's smart, though. I think he's not trying to, like, like throw the baby out of the bathwater. He's sort of trying to slowly creep in and, like, yeah. 
he's a political machine, so he'll build his way back up, I think, whether people want him to or not. So there's there was a, a I think it was Ian McWhorter that wrote about it. There was an opinion poll thing saying that the most successful thing the other party could do is really keep Alex Salmond out of the press. Maybe it would be a wee bit better. I kind of think that myself. Oh, without a doubt, but he's still the figure. He says he's not going to be the leader or anything like that. He's just... But right now, he's hot and he's in the paper, so, like, no press is good, no press is bad press. Um, I'm just going to grab something real quick because there was a... An online event for the Alabama party, and it was a bit of a disaster. And I don't want to tell you Martin's opinions of it, so I'm just going to go and um, a guy called Stephen Daisley that writes for the Mail, Scottish Mail. Um, so there was a, a Zoom call, and it was supposed to be like a conference, and it was supposed to be sort of like the the launching pad for the Alabama party, like towards the media and stuff like that. Um, the, it turned out that it was only 186 viewers at its peak, and it was full of assortment of sort of journalists, bloggers, and all that sort of stuff. But apparently this event was an absolute disaster. Um, Salmon's appearance was billed as a keynote speech <clears throat> on the Constitution and the Alba Party's route to independence. Um, it says if this was his idea of keynote, he should take himself in for retraining. Instead of arousing oratory about Scotland's sovereign destiny and Alba's po- policy pr- proposals for realising it, we were furnished with a brisk rundown of our candidates so far. Given the calibre of some of them, brisk was probably wise. The stream, was, the stream proceeding was initially supposed to be piped into Zoom huddle arranged for journalists and assortment of bloggers. After flashing through a series of screens from someone's computer, including a document clearly marked Memorandum, suddenly mm-hmm. a familiar face appeared before us. Former Conservative activist, former Labour activist and former Nationalist MP Fahmina Ahmed Sheikh compared the event. She was unveiled as an Alaba candidate four days ago and remains a member at the time of publication. <laughs> Shade, something of a record. Um, Ahmed Sheikh greeted all those watching online with all doing a rather lot of heavy lifting um, at its peak with 186 viewers. Thousands of men will have gone to all sorts of lengths yesterday <clears throat> to avoid the first po- post-lockdown trips in Ikea, but only 186 opted for an activity more soul-destroying <laughs> than perusing <laughs> Swedish shelving. The warm-up act for the main event was meant to be Laurie Flynn, the founder of Alaba, who was to treat us to a poster reading. Regrettably, when the screen cut to him, Flynn was on mute and unaware of the fact he waxed on in oblivious silence like Scottish <laughs> nationalism was answer to Marcel Marceau and the stream jolted back to Ahmed Sheikh before Alba members and reporters got to hear a word of stirring political verse. Alas for us, no modern day McGonagall, but at least the attempt was somewhat comical. Dear oh dear. An awkward segue later, an awkward segue later and Salmon was bedneck in a tweet before Cobalt back to England chirping more independence, supporting MSPs, what's not to like. The former First Minister looked for all the world like a second-hand car dealer from his first regional TV advert <laughs> and wishing he could afford to have it aired during Coronation Street rather than the second ad break during a 3am run of Colombo. <laughs> Mere seconds in, the Zoom stream froze, sending the press over to YouTube, where Salmon was bragging about Alaba's membership figures now exceeding those of the Scottish Lib Dems. His boast might have been more impressive if he wasn't lording it over a party that could have held its own annual conference during lockdown without breaking the rule of six. After a week, we are legion, he declared. The Alaba party are many. No doubt Salmon saw a little, a little scripture out for, uh, for Holy Saturday and the Gospel of Mark as good as any. Unfortunately, the verse, my name is legion for we are many, refers to the demon that Christ casts out of a possessed man and into a nearby herd of swine, causing the luckless porcupines to drown themselves in the sea. So um, back over on Zoom, one of the journalists was abruptly made was one of the journalists was abruptly made host of the session and protested this unsought promotion. She was swiftly re- swiftly replaced by another member of the fourth estate. By the end of the whole affair, I was the only scribe and I never bestowed this honour. I'll try not to take it personally. Ahmed Sheikh promised a special statement on Tuesday. It may be even briefer than yesterday's SOS. Dear oh dear oh dear. Stephen Daisley is not feeling. 
that is that is a takedown. Red That's cutting. It was a massive clusterfuck. There were no way that you should make that sound sound good no. at all. And I'll, I'll just I'll reiterate though that's for the Scottish male, so you know what their background and opinions are and stuff like that. So take that with a pinch of salt. Maybe somebody else that attended it thought it went well. The well, that's just their um, opinion of it. So I'll just say that. Um, and talking about the alibi as well, but this investigation into it. So um, a complaint about Lynn Anderson, a counsellor and one of Alex Salmon's newest recruits, has been made to Scotland Yard over allegations regarding employment contract details while employed by an SNP MP. Um, she's st- Lynn Anderson standing for Central Scotland for alibi after defecting from the SNP and has denied any allegations of fraud and said she'd done nothing wrong. She was working as a counsellor, she's working as an office manager for um, SNP MP Stephen Bonner until March this year. Days after her departure, the Met Police were informed about concerns of alleged fraud. In her role as office manager, Lynn Anderson held proxy powers for the MP, and it is claimed that changes were made without the MP's knowledge or approval, with the alleged irregularities totaling several thousands of pounds, um, so basically saying that there was wage increases and stuff like that, including for herself, that was never run by the MP. Um, but she's saying um, there's no fraud and nothing has been investigated and this is a complete fabrication. Um, she says, it's I was proxy for the whole year, so if I had wanted to give myself a pay rise at any time without his permission, I could have, but I didn't do that. I had one pay rise in a year, perfectly normal. Um, she asked if there were problems during her employment with Mr Bonner. Miss Anderson said yes. That's not because of my behaviour, but because of his behaviours. Asked what they were, she said, I don't think that's appropriate to say. Asked if she had made, been made aware of any of these concerns or had been contacted by either IPSA or the Met. She said, I've absolutely no idea. Nobody has been in touch with me. There's no criminality, so there's nothing to investigate. It's pre- pretty easy for IPSA or the police to get in touch with me, etc. I resigned in front of two members of staff, followed up with an email. There was no, it was nothing. So that's the quote, it's just, it's worded weirdly, right? There was no dot, dot, dot. It was nothing to do with any of this, nothing at all. And I would just say that this is in the Herald, and the Herald, they know a lot of people, which we know of for sure. So I would mm. tend to, I would tend to, I don't know, you know what I mean. Um, a spokesperson, a Metropolitan Police Service spokesperson said, the MPS received an, a referral from Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, IPSA, on Thursday, the 11th of March. The matter is being assessed. After leaving the employment of Mr Bonner on March 10th, Miss Anderson began working for Joanna Cherry, the SNP MP for Edinburgh South West. She then later resigned three days later from the SNP and defected to the Alaba party after working for Joanna Cherry for three days. So this investigation has been made into this. So, like, already, as we've been documenting, I mean, it feels like it's been forever. It's been, like, the past week or two that have been documenting this rise of the Alaba party. There's been issue after issue. It feels like every episode we're talking about something, like, they had the hacking thing that's going to cost them millions of quid, apparently, to get sorted. They've been, uh, like, investigating for this. They leaked all the names of people supporting them and they're breaking social distancing rules it's just in their zoom obviously did not go well it's yeah. fucking disaster for scotland as they say and they've got some dodgy candidates also they do yeah that came out are you intending i mean if you're happy to voice that are you intending to get any support to alibi on the 6th of may uh no not even the proclaimers can get me to back that are you going to vote SNP or what are you thinking i was going I'm I'm sitting on the thing of either green and SMP or SMP and green or yeah. double SMP. Still deciding. Yeah, I'll probably go double SMP because I think the green part. What's going to happen here is green in Alba. I think most people is going to either go SMP SMP or SMP or Alba. Mm-hmm. 
I think I'm going to see a lot of people going with their first vote to SNP second Alaba. I think what we're going to see. It's going to be interesting. Like, I'll be keen to watch that soon. Be good one. Um, I'm going to talk for a wee bit about the Royal Bank of Scotland, known as the Nat West Group. Um, on an article that's in the Herald today, what they're talking about is artwork that the bank owns. Um, so like you guys all probably know about RBS, but they're um, it's like what is it? Sixty percent owned. By the yeah, public, the, isn't it? It's like a, it's like a, a sixty percent owned by uh, the taxpayer, the NatWest Group are. Yeah. Um. So what it is is they they had a, a piece, so they've got a lot of artwork. Is what it is. Um. One of them is that they're talking about is the Eduardo Paolozzi's. It's a sculpture. It's called the Wealth of Nations, and there's a quote from Einstein saying, "Knowledge is wonderful, but imagination is even better." Um. And they're saying now anyone seeking to improve their knowledge of the work may find it easier to rely on imagination. Um, for having taken pride of place outside Red Hughes Avenue office for RBS for nearly two decades, the sculpture has now been taken away and all that's left is a sort of a stone plinth with one stood on. Mm. Um, it's been taken to be moved to the bank's rural and secluded £350 million headquarters, RBS Gogerburn. And the, the RBS, and sorry, well, the, we say RBS obviously, but it's NatWest Group that owns them. Yeah. Um, NatWest Group are saying that this will, quote, make it easier for the public to see it. Yeah, it appears that the Scottish Italian artist's homage to the progress is not the only treasure within the bank's estimated twenty million pounds art collection, which cannot easily be accessed. Despite a pledge twelve years ago in the wake of a massive bailout from the UK government that the bank would share its collection of about four thousand treasures, including works by Lowry, Sir William MacTaggart, David Hockney, and rare eighteenth-century portraits by Johann Zoffany and Joshua Reynolds, much of it seems to remain firmly tucked behind closed doors. Indeed, key pieces from one of the largest corporate collections of art in the UK, even before RBS acquired hundreds more artworks with a takeover in NatWest in 2000, can only be viewed by a select few staff and guests who venture within the exclusive inner temples of the institution's office. Now, we've got an, um, an exclusive look inside. So you used to work at RBS, Gogoburn, Willie Brown, so you can explain to the people <laughs> if, uh, if a member of the public was looking to see Eduardo Paolozzi's Wealth of Nations would it be possible for them to go to Gogerburn and go inside and, and see this? Uh, the All this stuff is on the top floor called the Executive Suite where Fred, where Fred Goodwin would have his office. They were all behind things that you couldn't get in, even mailroom staff. Like, I so was even you but, as an employee at the time, if that was there at the time, as an employee, you would have been unable to view this artwork, is that correct? There were no way that I could see that. It was in the executive bit where all the executives and the higher-ups Scum like myself, like a mailroom, a mailroomer would no way see that at all. That you had to either be invited in there, or you had to be of the executive, like top percent. There were mail, there were paintings around, but there were nothing. But all the, because you would look through and they would have a blue executive carpet, and it would be, it looked like a different place up there. And when they talk about Gogoburn, you can't even get in Gogoburn without a badge. Gogoburn had. It's such a so not only is it so not only is Gogoburn a sort of private complex for employees only, it's a secure location. But even within that building, there's sort of different echelons in which that staff couldn't get to some of the levels where the artwork is, is stored. Is that right? So not even as staff, you'd be able to see that. No. Oh yes, staff couldn't get into that. You had to be if I can, executive staff. If I can read you a further quote for this article, um, there's a painting by William Mossman. Uh, it's, it's, that's an oil painting. Um, to even view that one, you'd have to get an invitation to the plush business suite within the RBS offices at 36 in Andrews Square in Edinburgh. 
Uh, meanwhile, the bank's got a Lowry painting at the factory gates. That can only be seen by those lucky enough to penetrate its client-making suite at 250 Bishopsgate in London. According to RBS, quote, all of the bank's artwork can be requested for loan and we try to make sure that pieces are rotated for public display. We are regularly in contact with museums and galleries making offers of work and are very much open to approaches from suitable borrowers. Some of our best works are on dis- public display either in street locations or in public areas of our building. We also answer inquiries from art historians and students and provide images and information in the collection to publications. The bank says around 2,000 works, many of low value, are displayed in over 50 locations in the UK and internationally. However, it concedes that most are in spaces used by only bank staff, while others are in areas accessible by clients. So basically what they're doing is putting this stuff that's not worth a fuck out on street locations for the plebs to see. And the really nice, proper, expensive stuff is is in its exclusive suites um, at, at prime locations. Oh, yeah. We have now got a inner workings of the inner, inner, inner workings of an echelons of RBS mailroom. Um, William Brown went round the building had to collect mail from all sorts of staff and even he would have not been privy to see things like this. So it's absolute horseshit. They got a yeah. government bailout and promised that we'd be able to see all these artworks and to share it for the cultural benefit of the nation and that's not true. So if you're in the position that you're a, um, an artist or a historian or you've got sort of contacts that you can display art in the place that you work or something, get in contact with RBS because it says that they're they're very open to loaning out these pieces and stuff like that. So if you've got the facility to request these, uh, or you'd like maybe a piece of RBS-owned artwork to be hosted in your living room for a period of time, get in touch because they seem quite keen, they say, um, to, to lend it out. So let's get in touch with them and see if we can borrow something. Do you think we could get something from the Mouth of the Clyde office? We could have let's, contact them, I, let's contact them and say, we'd like something from Mouth of the Clyde office. Could you let us borrow for a period of time one of your Lowry paintings? I think a Lowry painting would look really good across from our Shinsei Nakamura in the hall. I think that would they would. They would Did you know together. that he painted Salford smoky tops on cardboard boxes from the shops? Lowry? Yeah. Who is Matchstick Man and Matchstick And they Cats called and... him Matchstick, Matchstick Man, Man and Matchstick <laughs> Cat Friends. <Cat friend>. <laughs> <laughs> I had it, it was in my mind the whole, whole time. <laughs> I'm now stuck because I've got the tune for the next bit in my head, but I don't remember the words. It was. Mm, what is the next song? smoky tops on cardboard boxes from the shop. Parts of Ancoat where I used to play. Sure he once walked down <laughs> our street because he painted kids who had now turned their feet. The clothes we've already all seen better days. <laughs> That's a classic song. I'm going to get that one as soon as we finish this podcast. I think you should do a charity single. I think I should. And send it to RBS, maybe I can get a borrow some artwork. But that's absolute <laughs> horseshit. Oh, yeah, we send things out to the public. I think you'll find they've got street art on display, courtesy of the Artways group. But the stuff is actually worth a fuck. We've got it hidden in fucking Fort Knox, so he's kind of got the plebs anywhere close to it. So when you worked in the mailroom, Willie Brown, is that correct that you would walk around the building and collect like, items to go down there from or in the building? So you'd, oh, be, yeah. like, you'd, be, you'd be allowed into a lot of places to, to pick up things and stuff like that. So even you would have not been allowed near this stuff. It's somebody that's allowed like, quite wide access to the building. I was allowed in every office because, or to the, the key pickup points, because as, as you've been in offices before, they're always like centre stations where you pick up mail. And that's, mm-hmm. I would have a big blue trolley. My job was to walk around to pick that up, but there would be certain offices that I would get to go into to pick up from their exclusive ones because they would have ones that would need to go out right away. So, can you tell us a bit Goga Burn and like how that sort of structured? Like you say, there's like a building that you need ID to get into. Like, is it right. sort of like you have to scan it at like security entrances? Like, what's the sort of 
But Google Google Burns, sort of, was it getting into illegal trouble and explaining how somebody uh, could break in? Like, what was it like? Google Burns get three. I can tell you how to break into a bank at one point if you want. Um, Saturday night shit chat, not no the Sunday brunch. Right. There are three buildings that's all been put together. The place was built in the 2000 that was opened by the Queen. I visited in 2003 because I helped, I was one of the people that was set up to help their internal mail system. So I set up, I helped go up and actually set up their internal mail and set up their, their system. Like me and a couple of my pals. Mm. So it, when you walk in, you will be, you have to either scan to use the entrance or you walk in and you would talk to security and stuff. But when you walk in, the, it is a street you go into with a big glass thing and there are wee shops at each side. There were a Tesco's, there's now a bar which is right across from which you can see what was Fred Goodwin's office. You had to walk past, you had to, he could see right into the bar. There were a swimming pool or like hairdressers, all of that in this to give you a sort of like almost feeling of like what this place was like. You know what I mean? Like it, it had that you could live here sort of plush feeling mm. through that. They had windy, windy uh, chairs, or things. Mailroom is up on the basement, as you know, because they keep the plebs out of the way. But uh, it was just a big vanity project for Fred Goodwin. Like he wanted, he didn't want to live in this old office in St Andrews Square. He wanted the whole top floor was pretty much his office and. He had like, it was all flown in beautiful wood because I was I had to go up there to like build the unit to put in, and it was all mahogany floors and I got watched by security while building it because I wasn't allowed to like go near his office or look in papers and stuff. So security came up with me when I was building that because they asked could I build it downstairs and bring it up in the lift and I was like no I, I can't it needs to be built here because it doesn't fit in the lift. Can I just ask you something, like, as somebody that's been inside there? Uh, while you were talking about it, I was listening, but I was looking up an article, RBS HQ and Gogoburn host counter-terrorism exercise with vehicle attack. So back in 2017, there was an article in which they were doing sort of cross-border preparation, like, in case of terrorism attacks. And you can see them at RBS Gogoburn, people with, like, big massive shields and guns and stuff like that, doing like, a sort of fake terrorist activity mm-hmm. at that Gogoburn office. So they obviously, it's obviously under huge protection if they're making, like, sort of, like, dummy events there in the, in the case of and stuff like that they're obviously putting a huge amount of money into protecting that place and if you look oh, yeah. up I'm seeing that sort of like pristine interior you're talking about if you guys look it up you'll be able to see like it looks very much like a, a modern art sculpture just the building itself it's really fancy they'll talk about the the road to nowhere also because Fred Goodwin was trying to get a road at the side that just goes into a field but he mm-hmm. was trying to get through Edinburgh Council to get it so he can just drive straight into the airport so he doesn't have to go through his thing. He could just get straight to his private plane, but Edinburgh Airport wasn't having it. He wanted a, a road for only him to go on, that, or people that was coming in to be able to go get their private plane that way. Or the thing was, it's also near uh, Edinburgh Golf Course, so he could either take it to go to the golf course that he enjoyed, or straight to the private plane. Fred Goodwin, is, I think... The second ever person to get a knighthood taken off him. So that shows you the kind of guy he is. He's one of the. I think the only other one was a Nazi in the nineteen forties, and Fred Goodwin. Fred Goodwin took out um, a super injunction to block reports of an alleged marital affair with a colleague at the Royal Bank of Scotland. Um, 
there's been a lot of talk about Fred Goodwin, but we'll move on because he is still alive and he's probably a lawsuit, so we'll um, we'll move on from there. Can I mention one thing about Fred Goodwin? Yeah. Beforehand? On your own opinion? On my own. No, it's actually on my own. Like, I, like I've met him. Oh, mm-hmm. You know when it was cool to go back to the floor, that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Remember when that was hot, like they were sending like main bosses. He came down to our mailroom and he was working in our mailroom for like an hour with two security guards and he was filling letters and talking to people. And because of who he was, he was allowed to smoke cigars in the mailroom. And we were like, if he's allowed to do it and he's the boss, and he was like, oh, if he's what, you all have a cig. And our bar, our manager was raging because we were all sitting having a smoke. Fred <laughs> Goodwin. Because Fred Goodwin said, if Fred Goodwin's allowed to do it, we're allowed to do it. He's like, Fred, is that not right? Because we would all just call him Fred because he was in the room and he was like, just treat, because he's from Paisley. And he's like, just treat me like I worked here all the time. We're like, Fred, you want a cup of tea? Fred, you want to mm. come with help with... He was security. He was kind of laughing with it, but he knew what he was doing. I think it's on the internet, Officer Bank, but I guess that's been taken off because Fred Goodwin's a, a fiend. Yeah, maybe. Um. Oh, I I've seen as well. There's a new book coming out. Um, Sir Alan Duncan, who used to be the MP for Rutland Milton in the nineties, um, he was on the front bench for eighteen years. He's got a new book coming out. It's called The Sick of It. Creative. Um, that's coming out. I've pre-ordered that. I think it's coming out on the fifteenth of April. So I've pre-ordered that. We'll have that going. I'll, I'll report back on it. But in it, um, he said that Boris Johnson despises Theresa May. Um, and on talking to Boris Johnson, he said he is a clown, a self-centered ego, an embarrassing buffoon with an untidy mind and sub-zero diplomatic judgment. So that'll be an interesting read. Yeah, that, it doesn't pull his punches there. I'm just going to bring it up, and if you want me to talk about it. Uh, a good friend, Jennifer, is back in the papers for our third week getting extra. Oh, aye. The mistress. The mistresses came in, and now she was talking about how this is the one where she's now getting knocked back by Boris. This is where she's got to now. That she About how much money that she got and how the Prime Minister at the time said that she can have a building and then they were going to... But, he, but Boris kept giving her the sort of cold shoulder and because of the culture and how much money she got from the taxpayers also. Do you know she was awarded 126000 from taxpayers' money? She was granted mm-hmm. access to three trade missions just because she was banging the old Boris. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how she met... The th- it's just bringing back the same... They must have paid so much money for this interview because they keep bringing up the same bits. Uh, they want this- to get their money's worth it, yeah. New photos of her in that blue dress, mm-hmm. like looking pissed off. A British Monica Lewinsky moment. Yeah, but also this time it's an analysis, as they referred to it. That every time it's been brought up to David Cameron and Matt Hancock and Michael Gove, they're like, "I don't know anything about it. I can't answer." Sorry, and that was the end of that. Like they've all just just kid on. They don't know anything. Like, that's the first time we've heard about it when she's been brought up. And their picture, they've all got pictures there. There's a interesting thing that was really you might be touched by about Sabine Schmidt. Have you seen this? It's going to be on the TV tonight, I think. Aye, uh, so it's a uh, BBC is broadcasting a special Top Gear tribute to Sabine Schmidt, who obviously sadly died last month at age 51 after battling cancer for the past five years. And Will was very sad about. It. We were very sad about that, and Will especially because he loved her a lot. Um, so it's going to be hosted by Freddie Flintoff, Chris Harris and Paddy McGuinness who are presenters there 
They'll also be joined by Big Jada Clarkson, the Hamster and James May, Rory Reid and Matt LeBlanc for the tribute. Um, Top Gear EP Claire Prizey said, we send our heartfelt condolences to Sabine's partner Klaus and her family whose loss is so much greater than ours. We had to pay a special tribute to Sabina, who's such a big part of our Top Gear family. We'll never forget the joy we had working with her and knowing her. Um, Alex Wright and Chloe P said Sabine was part of Top Gear for over 15 years and it was no surprise that so many people who had worked with her over that period dropped everything to be a part of this tribute. She was so loved and will be greatly missed by all. Are you going to be watching that? I will be watching that. Have you heard the other thing about Top Gear? No, the Stig, they're turning the Stig into a matchmaking motoring show. Because Blind Date's coming back and it's hot, the BBC want to take one of their biggest properties Top Gear and have the Stig set up so people would go on a blind date but they would go on they would go out in Grand Prix they were like oh let's see how you and you use fancy each other let's go in this car and speed around a track and you just can talk while you're buzzing through it it's going to be on they're going to put it on BBC3 like BBC3 the the internet service to start off with that's where usually things like that start but uh, that sounds you know, dreadful I will watch it. It will be awful, but it will be. If you're looking for this, is they're actually an ad up in the BBC right now. It says if you're looking for love and you're a single petrol head, the Top Gear test track is your perfect first date. So they're going to drive around the Top Gear test track. You way. could go to that brownie. I can't drive, and there's been people on Top Gear that kind of drive. You can just go and try. I think you're allowed to. It's on like a private land. You can just buzz through. I'm not interested in meeting. Ladies or gentlemen, at the minute, so I am cool. Happily single. I'm happily single and not wanting to mingle, unless it was the stick. I would like to touch his big white helmet, but you'd like to touch the stick's big white helmet. Yeah, I do like. On that note, um, if I can just pay tribute to our sponsors <laughs> at Mouth of the Clyde, the Inverclyde <laughs> Boiler Company, who are number one heating installer in Inverclyde. They install your boilers, they service your boilers, they everything you need. Very nice people. Rated five star on Trustpilot. Um, you can find them on the web and phone them up. Their website is theinvercladeboilercompany.co.uk. And if, I need to go on the Instagram because I'm going to get this wrong. I have to just explain what this thing is because they've got a new thing lately that's apparently like a big deal, right? It's right. called Off Offtech O F T E C. They're now Offtech registered. Um, so apparently it's like a big vetting process, interview, reference checking, like a site assessment. It's a whole bunch of complicated stuff to get this Offtech registration. It's similar to the gas safety register. It plays a crucial role in raising the heating and efficiency standards for the UK heating industry for all fire systems and appliances. Basically, by using an off-tech registered technician for regular service and maintenance of your oil boiler or heating system is the best guarantee that your system will run safely and efficiently. So they've now got that because they're awesome. Inverclyde Boiler Company, their new premises is at 1A Orangefield Place. And we're going to visit that soon and get pictures and their podcast and everything machine over there. You're going to enjoy it. Um, and as I say, you can get them on Instagram. It's the Inverclyde Boiler Company is their name. Um, www.theinverclydeboilercompany.co.uk is their website. You can call them on 01475 503 They say we sent you. But you'll not get a discount or anything like that, but they'll just know that we sent you and that we're, they were supposed to be there and promote more local businesses. Can I say one thing that there, just to make people know where we're at? It's right yeah. beside the Willow Bar. Yeah. That's how... That's how I, I was like, oh, 
because I thought it was somewhere else. And you said, had a couple of weeks ago, I said on here about how, like, like you said, like, I made a joke of how it's like a homecoming for me because my dad's a boiler maker and stuff. Mm. Um, and I had says like, oh, I need is like some dead bodies, and that's like my <laughs> mom's profession cover as well because she's a palliative care nurse. Shane messaged me after that podcast and told me how like um that it's actually on the site of like an old undertaker's or a funeral home or some sort of thing. Um, yeah. so it's like it's actually my my homecoming is this Inverclyde Boiler Company's new premises. So I'm very keen to go. I'll be very excited to go. Are we going to sign and boiler? Shane's like so nice. Like, do you know what I mean? It's just like, you know, sometimes you just get like, either if you go get your car emotive or if you get like a tradesperson in, you're, you're just kind of feeling sometimes like they're a dick. They're going to try and like run me out of my money. They're going to try and overcharge me for stuff. And like, I kind of trust them. Shane's not like that. Like, he's going to just be like straight with you. He's a nice guy and stuff. He's not going to advantage him. He's like just a genuinely nice person that like, and it's like sometimes when a tradesperson, you're going to be a bit awkward and a bit like, oh, I need to like behave and have the house clean and stuff like that. It's, like, he's just like an everyday local person. Like, he's not going to be like, you know what I mean? It's just like it, you'll be comfortable with women. Do you know what I mean? It's just like a normal, nice guy. He's not going to like take advantage of nobody. And he listens to our podcast on the job, which I I listen to your podcast on the job, and he supports and he supports the local business and like shares yeah. your whole ethos of like having to like how we should promote our local area, and especially this like tough year of a lockdown and everything like that. And support so like I just like that. I, I just want to support my local community and stuff. And see for yeah. like companies like Embassy Brother Company. But over the past year, they've kept on going, supporting the community and stuff like that, supporting local business. Like he's sponsoring our podcast and he supports like he sponsors other local businesses as well. He's always running competitions. Like let somebody win like I think it was like, an entire free boiler. Let somebody won recently, and I think he's a yeah. competition up for like, a free bathroom and stuff. Like, he's always giving stuff away. And there's a boxer, um, Taylor McGoldrick, um, and he, they're they're McLean Boiler Company. They're now the official sponsors of him as well. He's like from Northern Ireland because Shane's Irish as well. Um, yeah. Like it's and, like they were giving away. I think I think it was a competition to be closed. Let me just check. Um, no, until April thirtieth it runs. He's got a competition that you can win, like one of them big troops, um, like beer things that you can pour yourself a beer and four like big canisters of Heineken beer. So you just need to go into like their Facebook and you can win that. Like he's always got like hella good prizes and like makes like a really good effort. Like he's just a lovely person. It's a good business. You should go in and support them. They're like amazing. I'm looking up Taylor McGoldrick now. I but they, they sponsor him, so we've got like a wee connection there. We've got like a wee boxer, like friend, friend of a friend thing. He's a Taylor McGoldrick is actually not bad. He's a light heavyweight. I just think that's so cool, though. Like how yeah. like, they're so into like helping local businesses and like like a thing like us that we're just trying to like make our way and try to come up and stuff like that and try to do something different and. Like, and he's into supporting that as well. He's noticed like a different yeah. industry and stuff, and like I think it's so cool. I just love him. It's awesome that because podcast we I thought podcasting was you just talk, but the idea that someone's sponsoring, someone actually liking us enough to do that, like that's, yeah. that touches my heart. Like that, that's amazing to me. Like mm-hmm. it's just showing that your local community is sort of behind you and stuff yeah. like that. It's nice. I can be like, look, mum, people think I'm good at this. <laughs> um, right, we'll we'll get on then. We can't talk about Inverclyde Boiler Company all day, but as much as we would love to, but we can go on from talking about boilers to like housing things because the SNP are being slagged in the Herald, um, because they made a promise to deliver over fifty thousand affordable homes over five years, um, and a pledge before the last uh, Scottish Parliament ballot, um, and the Herald is sh- the official data showing that. At the end of December, the number of completed homes was just 40,000 and they had pro- promised at least 50. Uh, meanwhile, as of September, there were 7,900 children in temporary accommodation 
um, and that's going up 37% over the last four years, to reach the affordable homes target, which is what would bring uh, homeless people and those on waiting lists. Some 10,000 homes have to be built in the next, in about each year. At no time over the past five years has that mark been hit. Um, the, the sort of 7,200 in 2016, 7,517. The highest number um, were 9,501 homes completed in 2019. Um, so they still haven't reached that target. And, and there's higher demand for it now because they're saying five years ago there was research jointly commissioned that showed we needed up to 60,000 affordable homes to begin to cut the growth in demand. We're talking about helping people in the private rented sector who would like a um, social affordable home, people stuck in temporary accommodation, dealing with rough sleeping. And we're talking about stopping the spiralling number of children in temporary accommodation. Um, and that's, um, what's his name, McCray guy? What's, what's his first name? I forget it. McCray? I'm McCray from... I can't remember his name. I'll look it up. No, Gordon McRae. Gordon McRae of Shelter Scotland. Gordon, Gordon McRae. Gordon, sorry, Gordon McRae. That was him saying that. So, um, Scottish Government criticised for that. We build more wee houses. But the build, they've still got 40,000 or 10,000 off. Which, I, I, mean, I would say at least 20,000 would have, so. Yeah. But that, I'm sure that the Tories have fucked that right up down in England also and are not near their target at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like it's been like a slow news day. There's like just so many opinion pieces and stuff on the news today. Yeah. The most sort of like juicy like eye-catching news is in the Scottish Mail as usual because they just tore the shirt off everybody. There's uh, an article in here and I put up a picture on Mouth of Clyde Instagram if you guys want to see. Um, remember we talked about that uh, Sky Atlantic drama that's been filmed Um called The Sceptered Isle. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so this week, it's, it's about Boris Johnson and Carrie Simmons uh, and stuff. I was t- talking about how there were like, Catholic sexy people, like the oh, guys yeah. from Broadchurch to to play um, Matt Hancock and stuff like that. Um, but they were filming that this week. Kenneth Branagh is playing Bojo in it um, and they've got him dressed as Bojo. There's a picture on Mouth of the Clyde and Instagram. You can go and see that of, of Kenneth Branagh dressed as Bojo and it's spot on, absolutely spot on. He looks exactly like him. I've not seen that. I have to look that up when this is done. It's not in any of the, the papers. And speaking of Boris, there was a prank done in number 10 this week for April Fool's Day on Boris. Um, last week he was a target of pranksters as his Downing Street staff tried to trick him into believing a number of bogus reports. On Thursday, April 1st, the Prime Minister's normal bundle of COVID updates and cuttings from the day's newspapers also included some fake news slipped in by mischievous aides. They included a false document which revealed the existence of a Museum of Agricultural Technology and a Museum of Museums that had been created by previous Labour governments and were still receiving <laughs> taxpayers' money despite having closed down years ago. The spoof report, said to be a war on waste investigation into Quangos, claimed that the establishments had been receiving government money every year since 2009 at a total cost of £2 million. Another bogus item in the Red Box claimed that Michael Gold was planning to use his Duchy of Lancaster title to brand a new range of high-quality food products such as sausages, to rival the Dutch Originals range, so successfully launched by Prince Charles. The PM's aides, aware that their boss had once, had once had a range of Yorkshire sausages named Boris Bangers in his honour, hoped he would fall for the story. Sadly, the porker-loving Prime Minister saw straight through the April Fool's. Um, over the years, April Fool's reports in the media have claimed Boris's picture was to adorn a series of postage stamps commemorating Britain's departure from the EU, that he wanted to launch Boris boards, hoverboards for hourly hire in London, similar to the successful bike scheme and that he planned um, to concrete over the country's canals to create a nationwide cycle superhighway. Another report crossing Mr Johnson's desk on Thursday contained a ludicrous claim, claim that uh, French President Emmanuel Macron was congratulating him uh, on the handling of his country's COVID crisis, just as it spiralled into another lockdown, but that turned out to be absolutely true. 
Dear little dear. So, you know how hmm. I pick up, like, on trash news, the ones that just make me sigh and go, that'll probably annoy ass if I talk about that? Yeah. Can I tell you one of them? Go for it. Right. Plans to turn a seaside hotel into a halfway house for criminals would jeopardise the world's the world's second biggest Elvis Presley festival. The festival at Port Crawl is the largest gathering. Alexa, stop. So unprofessional. I, it's a four o'clock. Where was it? The largest gathering of fans of the King Queen and for, uh, the King, forty thousand people. So they want to turn this hotel where all these Elvis fans meet into a halfway house for female offenders and they, they want to fight it because they don't think Elvis and female female offenders would go and the the councillors and all that are trying to stop this in Port Crawl. What do you think of that? Do you think I should go ahead? Um... I don't know at all. Like it's a kind of weird thing. Where why have they picked this place in the first place to home offenders? It's saying it's a big hotel, and it would be nice enough, and it, they would be able to afford it. But also, this is where Elvis Fest is. Could they not move the festival? I don't know. It just seems like something could be done. There's a giant statue of Elvis there, also, which is. Where is that? I would like to see it. What was it called? The Atlantic Hotel and the town that in a place called Port Crawl. Call? Porth Crawl? Porth Call. I can not just move their festival? I think... Like, for the good of others? Yeah. But they've been using the Atlantic Hotel for years and it has Elvis stuff so about sad. it. Too bad. Um, I've got Meghan Markle moanings, if you're interested. Oh, I've more. got some stories too, so go with have you got? You go first. So, if we're going on Meghan Markle, as you remember last week, I talked about Uri Geller. Yeah. As as you know, the, he fixed the whole Suez Canal thing, or we all did, because at 11 minutes past 11, for 11 minutes, we all sent a positive thoughts to Uri, and he'd be able to move that boat with his mind. So what he's asking us now is, you know, the royal family are all not seeing eye to eye and they're all that. And he wants to send positive thoughts to that, to bring Harry back into the fold and to help uh, Prince Philip from being not well. He wants to heal them with our our power of thoughts. So what he's telling us this week, he wants us to help us seal the rift and for the next few days, around 10 o'clock in the morning, if, if you're awake, is to send love for the Queen. Just think of the Queen and think of, like, love. And that should help heal that family. Mm, I don't know about that one. Yep. Make it really positive thought. Positive thought. Yuri's wanting to help out. Um, but Meghan Markle is being slagged for something that she wasn't aware of, according to her anyway. Um, so we're talking last week about this because she owns this like trendy coffee company. Well, she financially backs it, I should say. Um, this trendy coffee company, what's it called again? Um, Meghan's Markle. Clever. 
C L E V R, clever blend, clever blends. It's like an oat milk thing for coffee. Um, but she's been slagged now because they've imported tons of ingredients from a Chinese supplier based in Brutal Police State, where alleged genocide is taking place. The Mail and Sunday can reveal that Clever Brands, which Megan last year proudly announced she was investing in, while she praised its ethically sourced ingredients, had received almost 19 tonnes of oat milk powder from a company based in Urumqui, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, in the capital of Xinjiang. Um, the supplier has its head office within four miles of four suspected detention centres, including a possible maximum security prison and an alleged re-education site. Fashion giants H&M, Burberry and M&S have refused to source cotton from Xinjiang for years because of concerns over forced labour. And last year, at least five organisations said they would no longer help communities auditing their supply chains in Xinjiang because workers are unable to speak out without fear of reprisal. Representatives for Megan did not respond to requests for comment, but sources close to the Duchess of Sussex said she would never work with any organisation that does not uphold the highest ethical standards and human rights protections, like the royal family. When contacted by this newspaper last week, a representative for Clever Brand said... I personally have no awareness of this issue and feel convinced that Clever would never intentionally hire companies with such practices. Thank you for bringing this to our awareness. And the, the, the Xinjiang company did not respond to requests for comment either. And so if she's getting it on the cheap, and do it, but it's like I think if you are like a member of the royal family, like you can't, like sweatshops and that is going to just like get slapped in your face. They've got to be really, really careful, and that just seems sort of lazy, in my mm-hmm. eyes, anyway. What's your opinion? I it's like, I mean, it, they're, they're wording it very carefully, and just, like, the person who got back to says, I personally have no awareness of this, so that's, that's care- like, if I worked at a place like that, and a comment like that, or a request for comment coming from a, a national newspaper like this, I would escalate that higher. I wouldn't say, oh, I personally have no knowledge of this. Like, I would be going to my lawyers. There's no way I would personally handle that as a sort of customer service or whatever. Like, I've worked on things like that before, responding to emails and things like that for customer service. I would never take something like that on board. Like, I would hand yeah. it over straight away. But that's all you can do. You're like, personally, I don't know about it. And that's all I can speak on because I am only one person and I'm not the mm-hmm. business. Sorry. Yeah. Um, there's a campsite in Loch Lomond. Again, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. The Inchcallock Wild Camping in Loch Lomond in Dry Men. Um, it's been named as one of the best camping sites in the UK by top travel guide Wanderlust. Um, it says, in a, rare, in, a rare, in a rare area of Scotland, fuck off, it's Loch Lomond, in a rare area of Scotland where wild camping is restricted, this beachside campsite on Inchcallock Island on the, at the southern end of Loch Lomond is a perfect alternative, accessible only by boat. It has room for 12 campers and a warden visits daily to check for permits. There are compost loads, but no showers, running water or refuse collection. A night's pitch for two people is 10 quid. Camps is currently closed due to COVID restrictions, obviously. I'm sure I've seen videos of that. Like, there must have been YouTubers that took the wee boat over and flew a drone and stuff. Like, it looks quite nice. How do you feel about camping? Do you like, could you, are you a tentist? Um, I went camping before when I lived in America. We went to Lake Tahoe to camp. Um, and we made the mistake of setting up our tent at like six or seven o'clock at night. So by the time we got it to sleep, it was freezing. I think you're supposed to set it up a bit before so it can, I guess, warm up or I don't know what the situation yeah. is. But we set it up too late anyway. But I've been saying to Bryce, I don't know if it's because we're locked in here or whatever, but I would quite like to go camping because I do want to see more of Scotland. But I would like to do camping because like my in-laws have got like a, <clears throat> like a motorhome thing, what do you call them, like an RV sort of thing my in-laws have got. Yeah. So I was, I'm going to try and lobby them and see if they'll give me a loan of it. 
um, because I tried to like I said to you before I tried to go around and see if we could rent one, but they're either un- they're mostly unavailable this year, or if they're not, they're like massively, massively expensive, like over ten grand to rent them for a week, like so expensive. And like my in laws have got one, so surely I should be able to blag it for a week. You'd think. If my in laws are listening, please let me borrow it. I'll behave and I'll clean it up and I'll buy you the present. But let me borrow it. We'll be very careful. And you know, Bracey drives like a grandmother, and he'll be in full control of the vehicle. Can I say one thing of like we actually did go camping, but it was we bought a pop out tent out of Bernardo's and we put it in the living room and we slept in the living room on pillows watching it. Yeah, that was terrible. And now that's, I'm sure that's Scarlett's house. So when she comes, she likes to have her own. So she's got her own space. I feel not I, when, when, she, when she was a baby, she used to get out and have her naps in there. She would take my MacBook Pro and go in the fucking pop up tent in the living room and have her naps. Weird old. Wait, it is a quality tent. There's a, I mean, if you can call this a story, really, I just thought it was weird. There's some dress that, you know, in Martin Spencer's, that Holly Willoughby, the TV presenter, has got like, a wee yeah. sort of like, fashion line, a wee mini line, I guess, in Martin Spencer's, um, trying to look sort of like, attract a younger crowd to M&S clothing. Um, she posted herself wearing a, a dress on her Instagram account from that thing, that line from M&S, and so they thought, oh, that's going to be hella popular and get loads of them in. But it turned out not to be as popular as they thought, so they've got hundreds of them left. And they've new now slashed the price of this dress. It used to cost twenty nine fifty, but you can now buy it for two pounds eighty because it's on sale so much. Um, and that's actually cheaper than their best ever prawn sandwich from the Marks and Spencer food court. I think their prawn sandwich is. How does the dress look? Is it something that would you wear the dress? I would one hundred percent wear it. It's like a black knee length dress. It's got long sleeves. And it's got like um, hundreds of wee flowers all over it. I would totally wear it. Like, you could wear it in the spring just as it is, or you could wear a pair of tights wear it in the winter. Like, it's probably gone now. If it's £2.80, it's probably sold out. But let me Google it. If it's not, I'll buy one. I'll wear it and we'll do a wee photo shoot. No, get me one too, and I'll wear it too. Uh, you talk about something else. I'm going to look for the dress. Okay, I'm going to talk about. I, I have a thing for Prince Harry's uncle, if people know through my age. The person that has not not Prince Harry's uncle, Prince William's uncle. Prince William's uncle. Sorry, thank you. And when he was over visiting Castle Castle de Bang Bang, which is one of my the he got DJ lessons of uh they brought in a DJ because he wanted to learn how to how to cut and stuff. Spin the decks seen, or whatever. Spin the decks. Have you read this? Yeah, this no. One. I'm just guessed that I was trying to sound like relevant and, and youthful. Right. So <laughs> at Castle de Bang Bang he was learning and they were like one of they were like one of the things you need to learn is you need the most important thing is you gotta have like a call out when the beats drop, you need to shout something. So when Will is cutting the decks and the beat drops, he's just shouting It's your fireness. <laughs> The king is in the house. Oh man! <laughs> then got into it. And he says that he was very good, and he learned all about beats and how to drop it. And they were saying that that if he wasn't one, if he wasn't going to be king, he would love to have been an Ibiza DJ. He says that he he enjoyed it quite a lot at Castle the Bang Bang. God, imagine it. And the thing they always bring in, because as you know, this always seems like Diana would have been proud of him. Right, okay. I'm going to get into that. 
Um, there's a, an article in the Sunday magazines about that talking about what Diana's and with William and Harry on Easter breaks in the past. What did and you do? This isn't that like I'm do you really want to know about that? Look, she was a she was a single mom that had two boys over Easter. Like she probably took them to the park, painted yeah. eggs. Um, I've got it here. They're talking to Ken Worf, who used to be the RPO, the Royal Protection Officer for them, um, from 86 to 93. He said Diana was very much a hands-on mother and would organise the Easter egg hunt, but she'd get all the staff involved hiding them. Um, and they used to spend the, the, the Easter at Highgrove House in Gloucestershire. They had some chickens there, and I remember someone suggesting hiding some of the eggs in the coop. <clears throat> the boys were both very competitive, so they'd be running around with no inhibitions trying to be the first to find them badging the staff to tell them where they were hidden. There was no barrier between us staff members and the princes. They were encouraged to use our first names. Um, the princes had two ponies at Highgrove. Williams was a Shetland called Smokey, and he learned to ride it when he was just four. Ken said it was really a child's dream to live there, even when Diana and Charles' marriage was breaking down. Both parents were keen that their children weren't affected by their unhappiness. Every single weekend, and then holiday home from prep school was a celebration. Diana also enjoyed taking the boys skiing at Easter. Um, they went to Lech, or Lech in Austria, sorry, Harry and William picked up skiing incredibly quickly. They were fearless and Diana was incredibly good at it. I could see Harry was getting frustrated with having to follow the ski instructor. He just wanted to go so fast, so he skied solo down a mountain and ended up in some mud and flowers. We had to go and dig him out. After that, we reminded him to stay with the group. We'd usually stay in the Hotel Arlberg and have a whole section to ourselves. There was a massive brown bear head, which William and Harry couldn't resist putting on their heads to walk around the hotel, much to the amusement of Diana. I don't think the hotel managers were too keen, but boys will be boys. It was nice for them to get away and the boys would particularly enjoy their favourite food for lunch, pizza and chips. So basically went on holiday with their mum, they had pizza and chips and like caused havoc. They're just waiting. So I don't know what uh, is the news on that. She, she took them to like expensive buttons. Like, went expensive um, buttons, they had pizza and chips and stuff and their mum was like, William, Harry, get a bear heat after he'd see if we have to if you break that, we have to pay for that. I'm not paying for a bear heat, I'll tell you. They'll boot your pocket money, I promise you that right now, boy. <laughs> I'll tell you Aye. I'll tell your nan if you'll behave yourself. You're never going to holiday again with me, that's a promise. You'll be staying at home. I'll leave you with your nan next time. Me and Harry will come with William. I don't care if you're going to be a future thing. You'll be left at home. That was my Easter holiday experiences. <laughs> Did you ever go on an Easter holidays with your, your parents or your family? Uh, no, I, we, we went to Danuda a couple of times, but the thing is that you have to remember the word there were two lines. There were like me and my mom family. Then when the Waynes came, there were another. Look, and at that time I was just a big goon that would step at the back. Like I knew her first. That's my mom. So, <laughs> but no, it was just painting eggs and at the time stopping our dogs eat eat eggs. That was. See, um, speaking of the royals, by the way, there's a usual fucking hate filled diatribe from Sarah Vine and the Mail talking about Prince Harry because. There's a picture of Harry and he's out walking his dog. They're on a beach and Harry's got one of them sticks with a tennis ball in it. He's wearing a pair of shorts, a white t-shirt, and he's got a baseball cap and sunnies on. He's got a dog. Like he looks like every guy would look going to walk the dog on a beach. And like he lives in Santa Barbara. But Sarah Vine has wrote this diatribe, criticizing him for having a backwards hat on, a pair of sunnies, <laughs> wearing cargo shorts, out walking the dog, and and his feet in the ocean. Like, he's moved to California, it's lovely. He's out walking his dog, who's like some sort of Labrador, big looking dog sort of thing. He's throwing its baller in the ocean. He's doing what every human would do. What does she want from him? She's saying that he like, looks at like some sort of Hollywood A-lister. 
chilling photogenically in the Santa Barbara surf. What do you want, Sarah Vine? What do you want the man to do? I'm not the biggest fan of Harry, but he's out walking his fucking dog. What does she expect of him? You want him in his wax coat, somewhere in the back of Scotland, throwing a tennis ball. Like, like, oh, a hound. Very good. Go and check down the, the deer and I'll shoot one. Like, calm the fuck down. That's the... Like, I'm not a big royalist, but that's the fucking dream. You get to walk on a beach with your shoes off or shoes on. Alex, so first of all, you've like escaped a job like that you didn't like. You've moved to a drizzly, rainy, horrible country where your family and the press are always like on your fucking back about something. You've like got married to this like hot babe, moved to California. You've got a wee Wayne and I one on the way. You're like living the dream, doing what you want to do. You get peace and quiet. You do it on a nice sunny day, walking your dog. Like he's doing what he wants today. Like just leave him. Like because she's the first one to complain. Like oh, for somebody they wanted privacy and all that sort of stuff. He's you know, on the front cover of the papers a lot and all that sort of stuff. He's on the front cover of the paper because he's out walking his dog and he's getting paparazzi following him. Like, that's why like, he obviously wants peace and quiet. Just leave him then. Just leave him. Just let him walk his dog. Because as both of us are dog walkers, the, it is just, when you go out with the dog yourself and you've got a pair of headphones on and it's a nice day, it is the most beautiful feeling ever. Like, you mm-hmm. just feel like no one else is there. And, like, if someone was taking photo, like, I would be raging. Like, it, mm-hmm. and that's what he wants to do. Like, remember, this boy was walking in the middle of, like, this boy gets to walk a dog quietly, in a nice beach. This boy had to walk behind his fucking mom's coffin, at eleven years old, in front of the world. Like, just let him have a walk in peace for a change. Because think of that to walking on. Aye, just give him peace. Yeah, I, I really, it's just annoying me because, like, like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of Harry and stuff like that. Like, do, 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 I really don't care about this sort of stuff, like, whatever. But a guy like, lives on a beach and he's out walking his dog, of course, he's going to be wearing shorts and a baseball cap and stuff and, like, in the water with his dog, like, any guy would do. I just don't get it. And I think that Sarah Vine's done it's just fucking annoyed me. It's just this wee quote. One good thing about staycations, at least we don't have to be beach body ready. Bring on the Easter eggs. Shut the fuck up. What do you mean? Like, it's just, just like a like, promotion of, like, oh, on, you know, typically I wouldn't eat these Easter eggs. I've got such a banging body, and, you know, women must be careful and, like, you know, make sure you don't eat these things so you look nice in your bikinis and stuff like that. Shut the fuck up. I'm not interested. I hate Cerevine. I absolutely hate Cerevine. That's legs that women into it. That's legs that, yeah. Yeah. She pissed me off. And, like, I, it's obviously, you know what her fucking husband is. You know that whose team she's on. He's you a scrotum as well. Actually, uh, I'm going to talk about him. You continue, because he wrote an article for the Telegraph. I need to get it up, because he was in talking shit as well. So let me find that. Where you going? Isn't Sarah Vine the one that said that she loves visiting Glasgow and she loves going to the ambiguous, the ambiguous fish? Aye, she likes going there. Mm-hmm. And she says something as well about liking to go to Glasgow because she feels that her life is like so boring and um, she's always made to feel less than because her husband knows so many rich people and stuff and she goes to all these fancy places and Shropshire for the holidays and stuff. And she comes up to Glasgow and sees her husband's family like, as if her husband's family is like kicking about fucking like East End and stuff like that. Shut up, first of all. Um, but like, she likes going up to Glasgow and like slumming it and being with people like her and how people really live. She's got no idea how people in Glasgow live. There's no way, like, like I, 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 no, I just cannot stand her. I'm going to move on to something else because my blood pressure is going to get raised. Because um, Jackie Bird is in the mail as well. She's wrote a big double page spread of what she's been doing in lockdown. And I just love her like first like quote. Full disclosure, I am a failed musician who would happily swap my entire journalistic career for five minutes as a performer. Um, so what she's been doing during lockdown 
um, is making a radio documentary all about Scottish number one records since UK charts began. Um, as you've been oh. through talking about all that, it's a really big long, long record, but I thought you'd have interest in that, as would yeah. our, um, our very good friend and mentor, um, Charles Fletcher. So I'll need to pass along to him because I know he's a fan of Jerry Bird. So, but that'll be an interesting doc to listen to. So what does it mention on that? What does it say the first Scottish number? Because I'm just interested. Does it mention what the first? I think Scottish it's actually. I think it's actually going to be like surprising sort of things. So it says, um, before you start rhyming off your own favourites, hold your horses, pot pickers. I'd put good money on the fact that some of your most beloved number ones actually never reached the top. The strength of these historical inaccuracies became apparent as friends swore blind that everyone from Alex Harvey to Deacon Blue had a number one, but the top spot is an elite club with very picky bouncer who thinks nothing of turning away season stars in favour of the occasional one-hit wonder. Neither Alex Harvey nor Deacon Blue ever got to top of the charts. The Proclaimers got there only because of Comet Relief, and even the everlasting Lulu managed only once by joining in a Take That chorus. So I think it's been really quite a surprising thing. She's kind of holding her cards close to her chest, I guess, for the documentary, but I think it'll be an interesting one, that one. I, I know where it went, got to number one at least once. So here we go. First comment of the day. Mm. Hey, uh, what you guys have been saying quite interesting. Yeah, you know, this, this is probably a bit of talking about us, but what is your thoughts on Wickedy Wackedy Slush? Suddenly had a shake there. That seemed like a quite a heavy stream. I hope he washed right. his hands. Yeah, it sounded like an Australian also, and that means the, the toilet would flush the other way than it does here because he's on the other side of the equator. And um, but for him to listening, that was six circle sixty six. His name is Jared. If you'd like to go and congratulate him on his confident stream, thanks for sharing that with us on this Easter Sunday. We appreciate you. Don't think you're going to embarrass us with your your pee stream, Jared. We'll go and feature our own pee stream on air. We're not shy. I almost have one. You almost have so many times. Um, I know how to. I like talking about weird auctions and stuff like that. A crystal decanter is one of the world's most desirable single malt whiskies. Could fetch up to eighty thousand quid at auction tomorrow. The Macallan Lalique Genesis, seventy-two year old, is one of only six hundred released in twenty eighteen to celebrate the opening of Macallan's one hundred forty million pound distillery. At Craig and Lake Moray, um, 42% ABV spirit is a bespoke Lalique crystal decanter and part of Perth based Whiskey Auctioneers online sale, which closes at 7 pm tomorrow. By last night, bids have exceeded 60 grand. Fucking hell, man. And it's just the expensive dram. I, guess I, I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't imagine liquid being that expensive. Maybe six, Circle 66 liquid would be expensive now that it's been broadcast on air. Yeah, and they'd want a decanter for the six circle sixty sixes urine. We've been we've been thinking about urine because we were actually thinking about making actually pesky pesky I pesky. I don't think we've talked about this before. On no, you do explain it because Ashy has diabetes. She has a very high sugar content in her urine, and it's type one diabetic. She's type one diabetic. It turns out with type one diabetics that some con- some people in the world and some guy for an art exhibit actually used a whiskey mash and turned diabetic him and his actual grand's urine into a whiskey, an American sour mash. And I thought I have a type one diabetic in the house. 
we could make our own Mouse of the Clyde Pisky. And people, you could win that. Or maybe who, buy it. Who would want that? Who would want that? To drink Pisky? You could get, like, my urine and Six Circle 66's urine and make, like, a special, like, a Scottish-Australian blend because technically I've got an Australian passport. I'm an Australian person. So it would be, like, a very special, like, homecoming blend for me. Yeah. Jared, message in. Do you want to make a special blend, a special blend Pisky of me and like, your fluids? Well, you might not have a... He might not have diabetes, but it did seem like a strong stream. Like it was, it sounded. Jared, what are you anyway? Are you an Aussie? Are you a Kiwi? I didn't hear your accent very much. I'm just assuming you're an Aussie because I heard a wee bit of it before you relieved yourself. But where are you from? I don't know if he's still listening. I don't know. We might have just left and. Never mind. I'll see if I can moan about something else then and see if Jared comes back to it or not. Kate Moss, the supermodel. Um, went out to co-op near her house in the Cotswold apparently to buy like a wee shopping and stuff. So she came out of the co-op and she had her handbag, which happens to be a Chanel bag. I think she's like a, a sponsor for them or like a you know a spokesman or whatever. <clears throat> but whatever, she's got a Chanel handbag in her hand and a carrier bag full of groceries from the co-op and she's getting slagged in this paper for pairing a Chanel handbag with a co-op plastic bag. What do they want today? She bought her fucking shopping. What do they want from her? Do they want her to squeeze into the Chanel bag? Do they want her to have, like, Chanel-branded grocery bags? Like, what? how is this news? How is this news? I know I'm getting this merry time, but I'm just fucking annoyed by it. Yeah, well, I, I can see for that. Like, she would be coming out, and she's got a Chanel bag, and she's not taking her own bag with her. It's if you want to talk about it, though, and try and, like, diminish her for, like, using a five-pence carrier bag. It's a co-op, which is a, quite a fancy shopping centre, a, 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 a supermarket anyway, in my view anyway. And it's in the Cotswold, like, and she's got a Chanel bag and a whole bunch of designer gear on and stuff like that. Like, it's not like she's fucking slumming it, is it? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. she's got a wee bag full of stuff. It's probably like fucking artichokes and olives and stuff in there, I'd imagine, whatever posh people eat. But what's the wrong way with a five pence carrier bag? All right, because the thing with the co op is, like, if, if you're in a wee silly town, like, usually if you're camping or something like that, there will be a co op there. There will be a co op that will try to sell you a two litre bottle of Iron Brew for four pounds instead of the regular one pound fifty two pounds. That's what a co op is. Like it's, everything's going to be. Oh, by the way, I put a speaking of shopping bags. I put a hang on the mouse in the Clyde Instagram because there's a news quiz of a roundup of the news from this week. See if people have been paying attention. Can I ask you the four questions to see if you know? All right. Like, um. um a mural inspired by Douglas Stewart's Booker Prize winning novel Shuggy Bane has been unveiled in which Scottish city this week? Well, I'm just going to take a guess. Oh, Aberdeen? Glasgow. Right, um, who represented the Scottish Greens at the BBC election debate for party leaders this week? The blonde woman, that I don't know her name, but she's got an American accent, I think. Lorna. Lorna Aye. Slater. Lorna Slater. Number three, rules to increase the minimum cost of single-use carrier bags have come into force, but to how much? So they were 5p, which Kate Moss has now demonstrated from co-op. What are they going to cost now? Are they 20 pence now? They're 10 pence now. So I knew all the answers to the first three questions, but the last fourth question I did not the answer to, but Bryce did. What was the score when Scotland played the Faroe Islands in a World Cup qualifier? Was it one each? 4-0, apparently. 4-0? Oh, I didn't know that. 4-0. Um, I can see, and I think as well, see that guy that we like that um, does the BBC Breakfast. It's a kind of partridge man, Dan Walker, his name. Yeah. And it's a bit awkward. We talked to him before because he went on and on for about three hours one morning. 
um, if we were kind of sober not from a night on the bumps of like, how he had his ice cream cone stole by um, some where I see while he's in Bristol. I while he's in Bristol one weekend they had his ice cream and he's talked about it for like three or four hours and we thought it was the funniest thing ever because we were still in the process of sobering. But he's getting slated now because um, so he does his show dead early in the morning, does a little breakfast show, I think it starts at six o'clock in the morning or something mm-hmm. like that. Really, early really breakfast. I really early breakfast, so he's on his early so he lives a wee bit far away and so um apparently the BBC pay for taxis for him to come for his house to the studio because he has to leave his house at three forty five in the morning to get to work on time. Um, and apparently the studio pays for his taxi there, um, from just the studio and then back again. Um, and they're saying the weekly cost of that um, is around £600 a week or £31,000 a year. Um, and he's getting slagged for that. Um, he's He he responded to somebody on Twitter asking about this, saying, I suggest a New Year's resolution to you, stop reading and believing rubbish newspapers. Um, but documents from last November to as recently as last Tuesday show that in addition to his 3.45am pickups from home, which he gets on minimum of two days a week, he is often picked up from Media City in Salford, where the BBC studio is based, at 9.30am for the return trip. Many people in and around the show just can't stand Dan's hypocrisy, and it's left a lot of colleagues really cross as an insider, an unnamed insider. Um, so it could be bullshit, but it could be true, who knows. But I will say that, like, um, that's not uncommon. Like, I used to work at a call centre for a bank, and I would finish my shift at, like, sometimes, like, 7 or 8 at night, sometimes 11 at night. Um, and people that finished that time of night, they would pay a taxi to get us home because they just wanted to make sure we get home safe because it was like based in a city centre, so we were kind of worried about us getting home and how safe that was. So they would pay them like my taxi from where I worked to my house was $120, so that's like 80 or 90 quid. Like it was far, it's a lot of money. Um, and like, so that's not uncommon practice if you work on social hours that your employer will pay a taxi to and from. So I mean, I understand it's taxpayers' money and stuff like that, but that's not an uncommon use of funds in a business. It happened in the bank if we had to start at six o'clock in the morning, quarter to six, we were told to get taxis in. I'm sure there's some sort of law that they have to do or something like that. That's yeah. why we had it done. And if you finish after one, also, and with branch work, they want you to get ta- don't they tell you not to drive and to get taxis and to get taxis across the street from your house mm-hmm. and not at your house. They'll always put it as a different number and be standing outside somewhere else's house. I just really don't know. Yeah. Um. There's more slagging in the, in the sort of talk of the town pages in the mail from Charlotte Griffiths, and she talks about the sort of celebrity and like sort of like, you know, these sort of like you know ladies about town people, all these sort of professional minglers and professional best friends and stuff like that. Um. One of them is you know that Jessica Mulroney, who's friends, oh, I guess was friends maybe with Meghan Markle. She put a post on Instagram this week um, paying tribute to her best friends, but shocker, apparently, the Duchess of Sussex wasn't one of them. She wrote on it, I'm so lucky to have the best girlfriends in my life. I'm not sure I would have made it without these three. And put a picture of her with like, three of her other friends. Um, and our followers quickly bounced on her to um, reignite claims that Megan and Jessica have since fallen out um, because Megan said apparently that Jessica abuses her white privilege. So... I don't know if that's reaching or what it is, but that's in the news here as well. And something else on the Prime Minister and his fiancée, Carrie Simmons, um, because there was, <clears throat> last month they were getting teased because they ordered 12 and a half grand, allegedly, worth of organic food boxes from Dalesford, their upmarket sort of supermarket thing. Um, but it appears now that they're, they've switched to a cheaper option because boxes for Gusto, you know that sort of thing, it's like HelloFresh yeah. sort of thing. Boxes for Gusto, which cost started twenty four ninety nine a week for two people, um, were pictured getting delivered to number ten this week. So maybe they're 
where they're, they're tightening their belt straps on the, the at-home boxes. So would Carrie be making something to eat? Like, would like if he would be coming up from like sleeping in the office and he comes up <clears> to the the flat at number eleven, would would Carrie be like, oh, Boris, what do you want for your tea? Like, arrange sleeping, or would they have a chef, or are they like? Because when you, think I would about... imagine they'd have somebody cook their stuff. I, I couldn't imagine them two making their own dinner. I just mm-hmm. can't imagine it. Because I know, like, when I watch things about the White House, <clears> they have the, their own. Like, it would just phone down and be like, I fancy a cheese toastie, and they're like, Commander in Chief, we'll get you that right up. Yeah. I couldn't imagine Boris. For some reason, I could imagine, imagine Boris in his pants with beans and a. and like beans in a pot. I could imagine that. He just gets shut on underpants and he's just making beans. That seems like. I can imagine that. Yeah. Um, moving on to my next paper here. There's a story about this wee boy. Um, so it's a wee boy in Edinburgh. Um, and he's twelve, and he's got like a medical condition whereby like the veins in his nose like give him difficulty breathing and stuff like that. And mm. he's had to have like two rounds of surgery to tackle the issue. Um, and so because he's health concerns, he only attends school one day a week, even though like, he's he's like sort of contemporaries. They go to school full time again now. He goes yeah. one day a week just so he can learn and like sort of like mingle with his friends and stuff like that. Yeah, so he went to school this week and his teacher um kicked him out of the class as well as I think two other classmates who suffered with asthma because they were exempt from wearing a mask and they've got the sort of the NHS exemption card and everything. But the teacher kicked him out from the class um and like sort of quoted the rules that all high school pupils can return but they need to wear a mask and stuff like that. The mum has said it's completely unacceptable that young people with legitimate exemption exemption should be treated in this way. Of course, all of this would be avoided if children were allowed to go about their school day without being forced to wear a mask. Like, how do you feel? Like, imagine if you were back in school again or whatever. Like, even us, when we have to go back to college, imagine having a whole day with a mask on because, like, I've got asthma um, and, like, you've got, like, you know, like, I don't want to, like, out your conditions, but, like, you, you get anxious I, and stuff like that. It, it, it flusters you and stuff. Like, I, you, you get anxiety and things, so it's a bit difficult at times. So both sides have got an exemption. How would you feel for, like, sort of, you know, five to eight hours a day keeping a mask on? Especially like for us as well, like working in like the industry that like, we're in, we often have to like do like news reads and stuff like that, record audio and things like that. Like it would make it difficult. And like he, so, we're one thing. We're adults, so that's different. But a twelve-year-old who is legitimate, he's had surgery on his nose, and like kids with asthma being forced to wear these masks, like they shouldn't be forced. Like in a school, like, like in supermarkets, people weren't forced, like adults and stuff. So why should the kids be? I I think they were just you got to wear a mask and then. The thing is, with that whole, it, it was kicking a business as soon as you say you're exempt. And mm-hmm. I know, like, he's got stuff on his nose, but someone's like, oh, I've got, I've got asthma too. I've just not got my inhaler with me. I'm not wearing a mask. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's, because you've seen that yourself. Like, now you can technically go online and buy one of those, like, exemptions. Yeah. And, and see, just, legally, like, can they even actually ask you to produce one of those things? I thought legally they can't ask you. Like, no. you, you only have to say that you're exempt, and like that should be enough. Because like, then that's you then disclosing your conditions. Is it no? Is that no? Or is that an American yeah. thing? The American thing, they'll over here, like places will stop you going in, but in America they're like, oh, the, I'm. It's a, like HIPAA rules. Yeah, and what, the whole idea is like Tesco's is a privately owned place. And mm-hmm. they've got privately owned rules so think about the way I, like, I would try to explain to an American that if I was like if I come into your house 
and started pissing on your flare and just said, I'm allowed to pee here, that mm-hmm. you would be like, use the toilet. That's your rules. And you know what I mean? That it's just, they don't understand it. But over here, with kids and that, I don't think it's fair, but it is fair. Like, they have to wear a mask. But if they, I would say, like, say if they sat them, like, in the six feet, six feet, six feet way, you should mm-hmm. be allowed to take their mask off at your table. But if you're going to do something else, put your mask on them. You know what I mean? Aye. There's another thing pub. here about schools as well. Like, see how, because of the pandemic, they've cancelled all the sort of hires and National 5 exams and stuff. Um, and for, like, the college as well, they've cancelled the exams. And so they're assessing students, like, alternatively, they're sort of assessing their work throughout the year. So it's saying teachers are being asked to assess the students, but told not unreasonably they need to provide evidence to support the grades they are awarding. In some schools, that evidence has come in the form of continual assessments. To, um, students being asked to sit these tests and they look and feel suspiciously like exams. Many are being asked to sit test papers, sometimes at short notice and after a challenging year, which has left many of them ill-prepared. So basically saying the SQA and examination bodies are asking for evidence for the sort of the estimated grades that the teachers are providing. So to provide evidence of that, they're having to ask them to sit tests anyway, except this time they haven't prepared for it in the way that they maybe would have their Nat 5s or their, yeah. their hires, because they think that's not happening, but they're still being tested. So it's, it's just bring up another problem, problem really. Problem. But what they're doing Sorry, is... Sorry, I'm trying to speak out. Problem. I, I hope you did what my dad does. Is like, I can't peak white. Like, I can't peak white, yeah. But I... The, the whole idea is because they still need to get those test results. So instead of saying, we're not going to test you, but we need you to do this test, it just seems backward. And that's more panicky, getting a, getting like two days to do it than knowing that you've got it actual set. Yeah. Um, there's just so, a, a story here from Ian Rankin, um, the the novel writer who you know writes about Rebus and stuff like that, the policeman. The Edinburgh man. And the Edinburgh man, so he's predicted that crime rating is set to dramatically overhauled because the police are no longer seen as, quote, knights in shining armour. He said big questions are looming for people to write about police due to how forces and officers are now viewed around the world. So I, I guess things like, you know, the BLM movement and um, and how people were treated at the vigil, Sarah Everard and stuff like that, and um, like all the stuff that we've done lately, the stuff that we've seen, the police have got a very different image from what they had back in the day. They're not the sort of goody-goody people that are going to protect you and stuff like that. Rankin said, in the current state of the world, how can you write about a police officer and make them the goodie when we look around us and see that so often the police are not the goodies? They're not the knights in shining armour protecting all and sundry from whatever evil happens to be out there. So there's big questions coming for people who write about police procedurals. I'm part of that, except I've got the slight luxury in that Rebus is now retired. He's no longer part of that world. Um, he said, I started working on the book in September 2019, so I thought it was pre-pandemic. I thought the world of 2019 was in a pretty dark place and could see resonances and parallels in the way the world was in the 1930s. I could see the rise in far right in countries, in various countries and cultures in Europe and around the world. Brexit was turning us against our friends and one-time neighbours and telling us we were different from them and better than them. The narrative of polarisation around us and I wanted to write about it. What do you think of that? Like, do you think there will ever be a time again where we can look at like, or like how will like crime writing sort of change? See, I've always always... have that trust in police and stuff no more. No, they're not. Like they're not going to be seen as. But everyone's always wrote with a bit of grey in it now. Anyway, like no one's. Everyone's all look. Cops are always seen as like they've got their own problems. They've got that, but I don't think you you're going to have hero cops anymore and things. But I would like sort of refer to like so give examples of this as well of people that have written cops in a negative way and it's been very successful. Like one of your favourite ones, um. 
like Detective Sergeant Bruce Robertson and Phil James McAvoy. Oh yeah, he was an absolute scumbag of a bastard, but he was fucking excellent. Taggart was also a dick. Like they put here, they put Phil's Lane of Duty, which I didn't watch. But I know people are obsessed by Cracker, yeah. Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel, and Dirty Harry Clint Eastwood. So it's like people write about bad cops as well, and that's still successful. So maybe yeah. in the future, that's all we're going to see. We're not going to see that like goody goody cop thing. We're going to just see like you know. Breaking the Detective law. Sergeant Bruce Robertson's like getting bumps yeah. off of hookers and stuff like that. Like maybe that's the the cops of the future. That was fantastic. Like, that I've was never, just so great. I've not read the book. Like I was, I've watched the film and I feel bad for saying that because I feel that I should. But I also feel like any when reading Irvin Welsh, like as a Scot, I still find that hard to read because it's Aye, it's it's harsh. Yeah. Something else I wanted to talk about was sort of in the vein of education and stuff because the Scottish Greens. Um, are talking about their sort of proposals and um, their manifesto for the upcoming election. And what they're talking about is student loans. Um, so, like, people in Scotland know how this works, but if you don't, in Scotland, it's like um, you get the, the, the loan from SAS, they'll pay you the education while you're there, and then when you earn over £25,000 a year, it will start coming off your salary at that point. So the example that they've given in this article here um, is it say that you're, say me and you're a couple brownie, and me and you've been working for, you know, say 10 years, paying off our loans and stuff, um, we're earning above 25 grand, and then it gets to the point we decide to have a baby, um, and then you continue, like, I have the baby, and I'm after a year with the baby, so while I'm off, the interest that I've paid already on my student loan, so the, the payments I've made already, interest will start to accrue, because my, my income will drop while I'm off on maternity leave, Will you continue working and continue paying it off, so you usually get paid off early, but because when I'm off on my maternity leave, such an interest will accrue, that I'll be delayed in paying mine off, so basically it's like a, 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 almost a punishment on mothers so that you'll be paying it after yeah. longer, you're going to get higher interest and all that because you're, I mean, you have to stay after because quite often, like, if you have a, a baby, you have to, like, sometimes it's major surgery, you have to get a cesarean and things, so it's a big deal. You need that time yeah. to rest and recuperate. You can for your baby, and, like, sometimes, like, alternative childcare isn't an option, or you choose to be home with a baby and stuff like that. And that's usually the woman that makes that decision, whether it's for breastfeeding or just for the decision you make as a family. but so then it becomes a sort of tax on women again. It's just another one of these things that women are penalised for. So why should we have to go all that interest? And well, I'm not somebody that's ever going to have a baby, so it's not a problem for me, but I still think it's like, it's something that should definitely no. be addressed and we should be aware of, because it wasn't something that I've ever even thought of, but it's like, it's just really discrimination against like working mothers. And it's another thing you'd have to consider, like if you're going to have a baby, think of right, how much time is this going to add to my student loan? How much interest, how much more is that going to cost us? Like, it's unfair. Well, that's not fair. That whole thing is not fair. That, then it made me think about our child, how big that would be, because I was ten pounds five as a child, and you were nine. I nine think. Nine pound so, eleven. Yeah, you would be. You'd be hospitalised. You'd be. Uh, I'd be. I'd need to be after the year just for recuperating. I've I've just ended up on the national site to see what the most read stories is right now, and they're talking. Well, not about the young people in the Edinburgh Park last night that ended up fighting with police. Like yeah. ended up. Is, is that just now as as we know it's always been with Scotland, like as soon as they're a tiny bit of sun, like everyone's out, but mm-hmm. is that's what's happened, but we shouldn't be out in the fucking first place and they've just Well we knew it would happen. Like when I went I had said on the podcast last night that like um I went to Tesco yesterday and like so many of the like bags of ice weren't available or the sort of party food things weren't available. You could see people were purchasing certain items that sort of led me to think, oh, you're having like parties tonight, you're having like some sort of gathering this weekend. And just from seeing on Facebook, well, I'm not going to name people and shame people, but there's definitely families getting together and like stuff this weekend, which is understandable. It's like 
you know, they want to get together for a, a holiday. Can you hear snoring behind me? Yeah, I can hear it now. Is, is just, that... Just so on record, yeah. I'm going to say something that may, may sound creepy. Is that doggy or is that daddy? It's Bryson. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about a thing actually quite close to us. Um, and and Reclido it's large really, so it's Ayrshire, but it's close to us. Like in my mind, it's close to us. Um, there, so in the middle of the 17th century, there was a minister, and his name was William Smith. Um, he fell victim to one of the many plagues that swept across Scotland. So he died when he was 28 years old of what they believed to have been typhoid fever. He lived in Largs, um, and on his deathbed, he prophesied that in his hometown would be forever protected from future plagues and pestilence because it was two holly trees there, and as long as they continued to grow but they didn't touch each other, then the town would be protected. And within the past three years, the trees have grown together and sort of interwoven and like sort of like islets sort of tied in together. In this village, so it's it's uh, Brisbane Glen, about two miles from Largs, where his grave is, where you can see these holly trees. And obviously now we've got COVID, so people are sort of thinking there's a that this was sort of prophesied by this minister from Largs in the 17th century. If someone went out and cut them apart. Well, there's a, a man there, a local resident, Martin Maiden. He regularly visits the graveside, um, and he said the prophecy was that if these holly trees grew together, which they have done, the plague would return to Largs. It's not a pleasant thought, but perhaps recent events might add some credence to it. Um, coins have also been thrown onto the gravestone, adding to the feeling of superstition amongst visitors to the Glen. Valerie Campbell, who owns the land surrounding the grave and plot, was gifted by her father-in-law, John D. Campbell, to the Business Club of Large in the 1950s. The club made a path to the grave, erecting a bridge over a burn to get to it. A seat was also placed near for visitors to rest. Speaking about the minister, Mrs. Campbell said he was a well-respected man who took his congregation out of the village during the plague to keep them safe from disease before he died from it um, at Middleton Farm, where he was nursed and where she now lives. There's a lot of people in Largs, especially the incomers, who don't know about the prophet's grave. It's a beautiful walk to the grave. I would thoroughly recommend it to anyone. The stones engraving has eroded, but there's a plaque beneath it with the original text reading, Here layeth M. William Smith, minister of Largs, a faithful minister of the gospel, removed by the pestilence, 1647. Local residents, including Mrs Campbell, believe the grave should be maintained by North Ayrshire Council. It remains unclear as to whose job it is to cut back the overgrown trees. A spokesman for the council said its groundsmen were expected to carry out basic weeding and litter picking in the area, but maintaining the trees was down to the landover, landowner. But even if the Campbells were to cut back the branches, now is it too late? But basically she's in, encouraging tourists and stuff. She's putting benches and plaques and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Get a fucking tree surgeon out, Mrs Campbell, and get it sorted. The council's not going to do that. They've not got the money to do that. Largest tiny. Largs has got a lot of millionaires and stuff in it. Largs is... Well, I, when has millionaires ever put their fucking hands in their pocket to pay for anything? They're not going to do that. Yeah, that's where those lottery winners came from with Largs. I, it's like they were talking about actually, because somebody's won, I think, 122 million and they brought up the ones in Largs that won, I think, 161 or something. Yeah, because the thing is, this, the, you just got me thinking this. Look, I've not been in Largs for over a year. Like, I'd be quite to interested to go to that prophet's grave. Like, if you, if yeah. we were allowed to do it, you fancy taking a wee... A wee morbid trip. We could take some pictures and stuff and share it with everybody because I had never even heard of it to be honest. So never. I'd be pretty keen to go down. Because, like, if we, you're from the same sort of like mindset and family as me, hoping mm. that nothing today, like, you'd all jump in a car and you'd go down to Largs and either get ice cream at Nardini's or chips. Or chips. Usually chips and then go play about in the arcade, try your hand at a claw, and you would go visit Pencil Point. Yep. Then eat chips. 
Um, I've actually talked more about, remember that Les Greens Hill that I was talking about the other day that's like was allowed sort of privileged access to ministers and like then David Cameron went oh, and worked right. for him and now he's going bankrupt and stuff like that. So there's mayor stuff that's come out on this and I just wanted to like um, mention it all because it's shady. Um, all the stuff that he had. So last night the government admitted that Greens Hill's former employer Citibank had been handed a deal to run a scheme processing billions of pounds of payments from the NHS to pharmacists without any tender and apparently no contract. So it was just, you know, cash in hand basically under the table. Yeah. It can also be revealed that Jeremy Haywood, the then cabinet secretary who had bought Green Hill to Whitehall, having worked with him at a bank, later nominated, nominated him for a CBE for services to the economy. Green's Hill was brought in after Haywood told officials it was a huge frustration that government was leaving free money on the table in this way. City Group, the Wall Street Bank that employed Green's Hill at the time, had been lobbying for the scheme for months and Greensill told several servants he would send his proposals directly to Cameron and Nick Clegg, the Deputy Prime Minister, so he was a d- direct connection to the then Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister. A Treasury official said Greensill was acting like a semi-private sector agent selling various products to departments. The Director of the Government Banking Service warned that the state f- faced a legal challenge if rival banks were not allowed to bid for the pharmacy scheme. In the event the scheme was handed to Citibank under a secret agreement details of which have never been published, Green Hill shocked officials by putting it in writing that there was no formal contract with Citibank and that this situation is entirely normal in the private sector. It's just like it's scumbaggery and criminal behaviour. I hate it. It's just, I'll help you, you help me. It's mm-hmm. local business on an international level. They're just like, oh, can you get masks? I'll give you that contract and it's fucking stupid and fuck. But it's just boys club. I just hate it. Um, if you want to sound a bit more lightweight, there's a wee feature in the Times on because people are lost in their fucking minds that hairdressers are reopening again. The types of styles they're predicting that people are going to have. Do you want to know what they are? Yeah, I, I may try to get one. Right. The number one one is modern day mullet. An example of that is what they gave was what Princess Diana had in the sort of like um, 90s, like the big sort of puffy hair. Like, I don't know, kind of Tom Selleck looking almost to me. Lego. Aye. Um, aye, so modern day mullet's the first one. Second one, silver fox, so very like Jamie Lee Curtis, like sort of like cropped in and like silver, yeah. super cute. I love that. Um, number three, go long, go short. So they give a picture of what's his name, Niall Horan. Niall Horan from One Direction, that sort of I don't know, messy sort of just the haircut that every boy has got pretty much. Yeah, like short on the side, long on the top. Four, um, light relief. They're calling it. Lots of people are going into walks, walks into salons with roots down to their ears. Um, they're calling it an accidental ombre so they're saying that people are going to actually accept this and have this sort of darkness at the top and the ends be like the blondness so it looks as if they've done mm. it on purpose and the last one it's nice to be neon um, people who are bored want to express themselves in a more dramatic way after such a long time and there could be a mini colour revolution um, if you're considering pink remember it's no longer the muted pastel pink of 2020 now they want you to get really bright electric vivid colours you've not getting neutral or pastel like, if you're going to go pink go fucking pink yeah, go like bright. So, what about yourself? What are you thinking? Like, I was thinking of doing my ends blue and keeping the top black, but I might just do my whole thing blue. Yeah, you should let like, if you want. Like, I I will make a promise on on the podcast that I'll pay for your hair getting done because now I save money on you or my hairdresser, as you know. So I you feel can pay for my hair. I'll pay for your hair. All right. Or I'll I'll give you my card for Harbour Barber. Um, I've got a stupid story about a sheep. Are you interested? Is it the use? The use? 
the use and the weather. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, Police stopped a car who had gone through a red light and found a sheep in the back seat. The driver, who was a human, claimed that the animal had been legitimately purchased, but the car was seized anyway for having no MOT or insurance. So, like, what do you think is going on there? Like, somebody is driving through the streets, drove through a red light, a sheep in the back seat, don't have an MOT or any car insurance. I'm imagining that that's somebody on illicit activity, possibly taking that sheep to a kebab shop, which I've heard has been done. I, as you know, we we know someone that sold. We've heard of someone that sold a sheep and took it to a kebab shop and asked them, did they sell farm? Mm-hmm. But who knows? It might have been a farmer. It might have been someone out their face. Who knows? It's not him, is it? No, it's not him. It's in England. Right. Um, they're talking about a thing, pay as you go driving, because they're saying, like, you know, like, the way we charge drivers is bad for the environment because it promotes, like, congestion, it's unfair to go mm. mileage motorists and all that sort of stuff. Um, Reform Scotland believes that we need to look at replacing vehicle excise duty and fuel duty with a pay-as-you-go road pricing scheme, and the UK and Scottish government should work together to develop pilot schemes in Scotland. They want to phase out the sale of new petrol and diesel cars, um, and that means that the fuel duty is living in borrowed time anyway. Singapore has been using an electric road pricing scheme since 1998. It can charge different prices for the use of different roads and at different times of days. Cars have an in-vehicle unit with a smart card, and when they pass under one of the 93 ERP gantries, the system deducts the fee. I don't know about that. So that would just make me drive like a scumbag and drive on the old... I, like, I'll just... The people that we know anyway, we would just figure out alternative routes and like, oh, if you go down that one-way street, like you'll get a journey half price. That's just how you do it. Mm-hmm. Driving along a field. I, um, I remember... Sorry. No, oh, you go ahead. I was going to say, I remember once my mum took me to the Clyde Bank cinema, but they didn't have any change to go back over the bridge, so we had to go through Glasgow because she didn't have any money to pay for the Clyde, the, the big bridge at the time. We had to go the big mm. long route, so it would just bring that that back in. Do you know that kids' book, The Tiger That Came to Tea, Judith Care? Yes, I do know. I have read it. Um, well, there's like the kitchen. Well, I've not read the book. Well, I'm sure there's a way or something. I kind of read it. There's apparently a kitchen that sort of a white and yellow laminated cupboards that sort of inspired her writing the book. It had been removed from the author's former home in Barnes, southwest London, and taken to Newcastle upon Tyne for preservation, installed at Seven Stories, home to the National Centre for Children's Books and Care's Archive. And um, so you're going to be able to go to that place and visit the kitchen from the Tiger Committee, and you can see it in the artwork, the yellow and white laminate kitchen. So you can go um to if you want to Newcastle upon Tyne and go see the the Tiger Kitchen. So that's pretty awesome. It just looks like a. A regular sort of 80s kitchen with laminate. It actually looks a lot like, a lot like our kitchen, if you have a look at the photos. Excellent. Thank you for just outing us for having an outdated kitchen. No, I'm not meaning, like, I'm actually seeing it. The colour, like, the actual set, set up of it with the, the sink in front of the window. Um, There's an article in here. It's like an opinion one. So I'm not going to go through and read the whole thing, but it's by Tim Tim Shipman, whose books we like very much. He's uh, quite a good author, interesting. Um, but it's now a year ago this week that Bojo was in intensive care, fighting for his life with COVID. Um, but he said to visit number ten today, the only clue of that 
is to be found in the Prime Minister's desk at lunchtime. The evidence is a plate of salad, says a horrified aide. It's just a big pile of green stuff, big plates of leaves. Um, when Johnson came out of St Thomas's Hospital in South London, he became an advocate for weight loss, telling his aides, don't be a fatty in your 50s. One year on, there's an Easter egg ban in the Johnson household. That experience is spilled over into policy, says the aide. We've done a big push on obesity. He's very disciplined with his diet. He's out with the dog every morning in a range of bobble hats. Um, so that the wee baby and, and down the street, I guess we'll not be getting any eggs today. No. He, he does have a good collection of hats. They always are sort of... He does. He's got a good wee, a good wee selection. All right, we've got a comment here. Go for it. Hey guys, how you doing? Happy Easter to you both. This is a great um, topic that you're doing here, man. Is this going to be a weekly thing? Because I think this is a, a good good show. Thanks so much, Sam. I would come on every Sunday. We buy all the Sunday papers because they're fucking expensive. And nobody buys them because they're too dear. So we go buy them and we read them and we get any stuff that's of interest. And we talk about it and say yeah. our opinions, which usually nobody cares about. But at least yeah. you get to know the news and without having to buy these papers, like which cost like £3.80 each. It's ridiculous. But thanks for coming. Hot. We appreciate it. Happy Easter to you, Sam. And I hope we, we see you back on Sundays. And we also do this through the week. We do a midweek one on a Wednesday afternoon soap night. Yeah, we do. But Sundays were a big day. Sunday is the big day with the big papers. We didn't. I didn't mention how much today's papers will cost. Look oh, for all the papers they? that we bought. Oh, all in today, including, including stuffing... And what was the other thing I got? Stuffing custard. and custard. Stuffing, custard, tums, and a bottle of Gatorade. It cost £27. Ridiculous. Yep. See, speaking of which, though, we're going to go now because we're Easter our dinner to prepare. We've got a plant-based Ooh. turkey roast in there. We've got cabbage and stuff to put on. And it's five o'clock already, so I need to go and do some cooking. As she does. And I will help out and cut things. I'm not allowed to. He is lying. He's not going to do that. I clean. Okay, um, we've got another hold comment. On, one more comment, we'll play it. I really appreciate it, man, because like you said, newspapers are ridiculously high this time at this point in life. Um, but yeah, I'll be tuning in every week and I've just followed you. Uh, so I'll get notifications now when you go live too. Yeah. So kudos to you both. And I'll be listening. I'll keep listening in. Cheers, Sam. We look forward to speaking to you in the future and thanks so much for coming. We hope no. you have a, a nice Easter to Sam and to everybody. Thanks for coming along. Yeah. Have a nice, relaxing rest of your day. Um, and we'll be back on Wednesday. Wednesday we'll be back. Unless you want Wednesday. to do an, East, an Easter fun day. Maybe. We'll mm-hmm. see how we feel. But we'll definitely be back on Wednesday for sure. But thanks so much, everybody, for joining in and for following. Um, we hope you have a nice, relaxing rest of the day. Thank you so much and, to our sponsors at Clay Boiler Company. Yeah. And we will see you Wednesday. And remember the um, uh, Sabine Schmidt thing on at 9 o'clock. Aye, Sabine Schmidt's on tonight. So go on and watch that. Take care, guys. We'll see you later. Take care. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.